Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Omakase. It is episode number 229. Uh, this week, I am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello, Chris Samsa. Hello. I am happy to be here. Uh, so, Chris, of course, you had a big weekend, but I think what the people really want to hear about is the biggest live event that either of us were at this weekend, which, of course, was the Toronto Blue Jays defeating the New York <laughs> Yankees at Yankee Stadium today on Labor Day, which I was at, so... That's the biggest live event either of us went to this weekend, I think. I'm I don't, I don't know sure it was in the largest place. stadium. <laughs> it so actually it, was. That's in, true, in turn, it is the biggest. They did outdraw it. They did outdraw all that. <laughs> you, you can't. They had a good, good crowd. So uh, a, a lot of Yankee fans showed up to watch some lose eight nothing to my Blue Jays. So there you go. It was, uh, it was quite the uh, quite the game. It's one of those games that wasn't as lopsided as the score sounds because it was like. It was 3 nothing all the way to the top of the ninth. And then the Yankees, I guess, had no one left to pitch. So I put out this uh, dude they called up from AAA who's just fucking terrible, apparently, because 
His his last outing, I think, for the Yankees was like July 22nd. And I think I read he had four wild pitches. So not what you want if you're not a baseball fan. And um, the opposite of what you want. And then he went out today, gave up a solo homer, walked the bases loaded, and then gave up a grand slam. So all in one, it's like uh, about as bad a job you could do out of the bullpen as possible. So It is a little uh, odd for the Yankees to have kind of, I don't know, I guess punted at that point because they are right in the thick of the wildcard chase. Yo, they're they're half a game up on the Red Sox, but more importantly, they are exactly four games ahead of the Blue Jays yeah. who are trying to catch them, and this is a four-game series. And so the, the Blue Jays, Jays have won a bunch of games in a row. Eight, eight of nine, I think. So okay. if, the Jays, if the Jays win this four, if the Jays sweep them, they have caught them for this wildcard spot. So, yeah, I was very confused. I mean, they must – I know they have a million injuries in their bullpen, but my friends are Yankee fans – uh, my girlfriend too, Yankees fan. So I'm the only Blue Jays fan there. Uh, they were telling me, you know, oh yeah, this guy's injured. This guy's injured. This guy just pitched like six games in a row or something. So it's like, I guess this was like literally the last man they had available or something uh, is who they had to stick out there. And he sure sucked. He was <laughs> not a very good pitcher. So that's what happened. Uh, the Blue Jays defeated the Yankees eight to nothing. Uh, Nicole got to, uh, she got to boo. That's her favorite thing. There you go. She got to do some booing. <laughs> there was one time, uh, I'm talking about you just as you're coming out of the shower. There was one time we were at like a Blue Jays Yankees doubleheader and it like started raining on us. So we were there forever. And the Jays, I think just started pounding the Yankees in that second game. And the people all got so angry. They just started booing very loudly and Nicole was very, very excited to just like let it rip and just boo as loud as she possibly could. It was very, it's a great baseball memory for the two of us, honestly. Uh, but today was not that level. She just got to do some light booing. Uh, but but you, it was it was very funny at the top of the night watching after that grand slam, just watching people, you know, stream for the exits like. Uh, there was a bomb that just went off or something. I mean, like that time that guy who won the ladder match at MSG. Oh, when so yeah, <laughs> yes, Nicole was there when Marty. That's what it looked like when Jay Lethal <laughs> when Jay Lethal won the ladder match with uh, a man who has since been canceled, who was the crowd's favorite. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, he deserves to be canceled. Uh, Marty Scroll when Jay Lethal won that. Oh no, Matt Taven won. Matt right, Taven. Taven. Matt Taven won. Uh, and yeah, people just like stormed out of MSG. They were so angry. I mean, a lot of them came back for the main event. Like a lot of them just seemed like they they had to get away from these seats and they were so disgusted. So they went, I don't know if they went to the bathroom or concessions or what, but they just like, this one kid like yanked, this one guy yanked his kid so hard. I thought he was going to pull his arm out of his socket. So I'm like, buddy, let's not, let's not like, let's, you know, it's not worth like injuring your child here. Come on. But it was, uh, these people were not happy. Or Matt Taven, not fans of Madison Square Taven, but uh, he still wrestles, right? I don't. I have not seen a single second of Ring of Honor. I same, um, <laughs> and but uh, I mean, he's not a name. He's certainly not at the top of the card anymore. Matt Taven cage match. Let's see. I'm sure he's. Uh, well, I don't know. A lot of people. Just yeah, he's, his last match was August 21st of this year. So there you go. Cage yeah, match. So he's going. He was defeated at Glory by Honor by Vincent. I think we used to be his partner or whatever. So sure. His team with Mike Bennett is now called the OGK, which I have no idea what that stands for. 
I assume the OG the OG something? kingdom. Oh, haha. Yeah. The OG kingdom. Because uh, there was the other kingdom. Right. Everybody loves the kingdom. I former kingdom member Adam Cole did make a big debut. There you go. This weekend. It's coming. Full he circle. was in the kingdom. Yep. He was in the kingdom, wasn't he? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember who the fuck was. It was like the. It was like Cole. I'm just searching kingdom. Not going to help me. Kingdom ROH. <laughs> the OGK. Yes, I, I got that. But who was in the kingdom? Yes, former members: Adam Cole, TKO Ryan, Matt Hardy. Excuse me, was Matt that, Hardy. That must was in have the been kingdom? his tiny Ring of Honor run. Matt Hardy was in the kingdom. Zero and Vinny Margisella. Okay, that was that guy that Matt Taven brought in as like the new partner. So it was Adam Cole's kingdom. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Good. You know. <laughs> the kingdom. They, maybe AEW will bring that back. They'll, they'll bring Matt Taven in. You know they like we're, we're, they like the units. They like the factions. So <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Maybe bring they could have the a run. Bring back the kingdom. I, I I have to admit, there was there were people pushing on Twitter uh, when uh, you know news broke that Adam Cole was leaving WWE and probably going to AW. There were people pushing on Twitter for uh, Tony Khan to go out and get the the Adam Cole Ring of Honor theme, which I have to admit I like. Oh I yeah, agree. sure. Oh, that was a great yeah. theme. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got something for you, as it <laughs> as it is. But uh, instead, we got a generic theme. And we did not get final countdown either. We got a, I mean, really, it was the only bad thing about that show closing angle. I mean, I guess we're going to talk about it in two seconds anyway, but with a theme song, I mean, the, both those theme songs, the Adam Cole, I, I rewatched the end because I was like, okay, I don't remember the Adam Cole theme song at all. And, you know, I just rewatched the, I, I wanted to see the segment again in general, obviously. And I rewatched the end of that show and that music hits and I'm just like, I don't remember the theme song at all because it's like, possibly the most generic theme song i've ever heard I mean. oh i don't know aw's got a lot of generic theme songs <laughs> this was one was like, like a little like a touch less generic because at least there's like i think there's vocals if i remember correctly yeah i think it's like oh you know that adam cole so like something. i don't know most of them are just super generic like bad rock fozzy ish songs <laughs> and they're just like on dark all the time whereas the adam cole one i felt like I, I don't know. I went and rewatched it again. I I was in the building, so I went and rewatched uh, pretty much the whole show today. And I I did find that that one was like fine, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was like, yeah, it it fits kind of slimy looking Adam Cole. And then the Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson one was kind of like, all you really need is the beginning, and you can do whatever you want with it for this purpose. But I don't know how I'll feel about it as it uh, as it goes on. It's pretty horrible. I mean, it, it, like you get the start, obviously, and then it's just like, like, like it sounds like a fucking dance song. I'm just like, I don't, I don't think of the the American Dragon Brian Danielson and like you know a random like generic club song. The, the two things don't have much to do with each other to me. Sure, it's a very very weird choice for a theme song. Now I've heard, I know that Brian Danielson has brought up uh, getting the final countdown rights even when he was in wwe and i remember reading that europe wanted some insane amount of money for this like they wanted like i think hundreds of thousands of dollars every time the song is played yeah so, so obviously that's not gonna happen yeah so, lenny leonard posted something on twitter about when he was in ring of honor and they wanted to use it and they wanted they literally wanted fifty thousand dollars every time it was used yeah for so, for pay-per-view i don't know what that looks like for broadcast it's probably about the same though 
So yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe it was actually Ring of Honor, but they want a lot of money for that song. So uh, it's not not not, not going to happen. I mean, AEW has been doing a great job licensing theme songs lately. So I was like hopeful, like maybe he can make it happen. But yeah, even Tony Khan's not paying 50k every time he wants to play Brian Nelson. I do think, uh, given the audience right now, though, using was it Flight of Valkyries? Yeah, yeah. using that bit for this instance was most impactful yeah i think because it was it's just obvious everyone knew who it was everyone in the building immediately knew and you know obviously people in the building had a clue of what might happen but as soon as that hit i mean the building blew up yeah so that's that's a theme song chat i guess before we get into yeah. the actual yeah. show uh but yeah it's a pretty terrible theme song but you know nobody cares i mean it's brian Danielson in an actual wrestling company you know Everybody's very happy. He's there to wrestle, so he He's says. There. He is there to wrestle. Um, so let's get right into All Out, I guess. Why not? Let's start at the main event and work our way down here. So this show, I mean, my overall thoughts on the show, um, this definitely was the best AEW pay-per-view of all time. I really don't think there's any question. Like, you know, Joe Lanza was talking about it on the Worst of Wrestling flagship this past week. Like, this is a company, even in un- other periods, where, you know, the company... Uh, was doing really well on television. Like, like okay, a great example. I really enjoyed the TV leading up to Revolution, which is a show you and I reviewed, I think. And um, the Revolution pay-per-view was pretty bad. I mean, that was such a letdown for the TV that led up to it. I mean, the TV that led up to it was, you know, up until this past summer, like the probably the best period of AWTV, uh, you know, the most I've enjoyed AWTV at that point. So I was actually, you know, I was watching Diamond every week. I was really into it. And then that paper you happened, and it was just like literally every single match had outside interference of some kind. Uh, obviously, the show closing angle was a complete dud with the fate with the terrible explosion. Uh, you know, it just had it was like cluttered with like a battle royal and a tag team gauntlet and a multi-way ladder match, I think, all on the same show, which they they very wisely avoided that on this show. And, you know, it just felt like a like a total drag of a pay-per-view, just a pretty, pretty bad pay-per-view. Uh, so that, like, you know, it killed my interest in the company again for a while. I mean, I just, I didn't watch Dynamite again for, you know, quite a few months. And then I got back into it, you know, obviously after the, you know, after the, the Saturday night shows were over when they were back in their normal time slot. And yes, the, you know, I think everybody pretty much agrees the current run of TV was great. But, you know, at coming until this show, I don't think they ever had a true, like, fantastic, triple-A, blow-away pay-per-view. Clearly, they had it now. And I'm saying that as somebody who is probably a little lower on some of these matches, you know, for the just for, like, a match quality standpoint than, you know, some people are going to be. But I still think, you know, and, and the show definitely peaked in the first half for me, at least. I think, you know, uh, if, if, if people really liked a few of the matches towards the end, more than I did. I can see them, you know, disagreeing with that. But even with that said, you know, this is not a quote unquote, like uh match quality promotion to me. This is a angle promotion. It's a promo promotion. It's an excitement promotion, which nobody else in wrestling really can match that right now. The excitement, especially. And some of it is obviously for, for no, to no fault of their own, you know, with the, when you have Japan, the entire Island of Japan under these clap car restrictions, you're not going to be able to, generate much excitement obviously and we have a lot to talk about when it comes to that a little bit later um but when it comes to like what i'm what i'm looking for out of aew you know hot debuts hot angles 
you know, exciting moments. I mean, this show delivered. And on top of that, it had better match quality than I'm used to seeing uh, from this promotion, even though it's still not, you know, the in-ring style of the, of the company and the, the actual match quality of the company is still not like my favorite promotion from that standpoint. But this was a lot better than many of the pay-per-views. And they did, you know, they really held the uh, the outside bullshit to a minimum compared to a lot of other shows. I mean, there was still some of it, which we'll get into. And I still think the the finishes are possibly the worst part of this promotion. But compared to that Revolution show, I mean, it's, it's not even comparable. So... Uh, any other, any quick big picture thoughts? Yeah, my, I mean, my big picture thought is really like you give me seven singles matches, one, I mean, steel cage tag match and, and a battle royal to split it up a little bit. And that's probably going to be a pretty good show in my eyes because the any anytime you've got a good hot singles match that's well built is awesome. Um, and then the tag match was built. I mean, I'm if I'm looking at the booking, right, how did we get here? The tag match, I don't, I don't love the like tag team eliminator thing, you know. Like I feel like they wanted the match to be Penta and Phoenix against the Young Bucks. They wanted to do it in the cage, like that was the end result that they were going to get to, and they had to like basically have the Young Bucks just like, you know, a firing squad like take down some of the tag teams that have already been built up. While the Lucha Brothers were like, I don't know, living on dark, and like they they hadn't been doing much, at least not much in in the you know front of mind. Now, I, I just feel like they could have gotten to that match better. I'm glad they got to that match because it was awesome. It was great. And then the Battle Royal, I mean, that was supposed to be the pre-show. I'm glad it ended up on the, the real show. Because yeah, it, it did really good for, for a Battle Royal. That was great. It was great. It was well booked. It was well put together. And I think that it was, what, 22 minutes maybe? Like, yeah. It was, and it, and, and it ended with a great debut. Somebody, somebody debuting and winning. Which I, I think mean, is not, also cool. I mean, I'm not saying I'm happy there was no Paca Andrade, but I definitely do think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that felt like a match that deserved to be on the pre on the main show, and it also. I mean, people people are going to say whatever they're going to say anyway, and now they're saying, "Oh, this wasn't even supposed to be on the main show," but it kind of you know uh, shuts up some of the people who are like, "Oh, they only have one woman's." Oh, the, the yeah the yeah sure. Which well, like, <laughs> I everything. guess I guess that's a. It, I mean, it is a reasonable complaint when it comes down to it, but um yeah i mean that battle royal the way it was booked and how it ended and who was in it honestly when i look at the the list and the talent roster like that feels like a real pay-per-view match and and uh, you know maybe open the pay-per-view with it because it was supposed to be the pre-show but instead they kind of used it as a splitter where you kind of have two um what like four match ends of this show that the first you know the first four matches were a little more kind of what i would consider like kind of classic aew style in ring and then the last four were more like story matches with jericho mgf and and cm punk darby then you got paul white and qt as kind of a time filler and then omega christian you know like kind of a blend but a you know ultimately a pretty good main event so yeah overall great show i really loved being in the building for it the building was hot um but honestly like the more singles matches you put on a show the better you're building your feuds i think I mean, I hope I hope they learn. I don't want to say learn a lesson, but I hope they they take this forward basically. And like, we don't need cards with a battle royal and a multi way ladder match and a tag team gauntlet. Right, and that's ridiculous. We need cards with more singles matches, and the card will almost always be better when you do that. So, 
I mean, it's okay to have like one three-way or one battle royal or whatever, but like, you know, these cards that they were doing where they had to, it felt like they were trying to get every single wrestler on the show. It's just, you know, they, it just doesn't work. I mean, these, this card felt like a big card because they had these guys, you know, in these singles matches and it felt like, you know, a more of a traditional pay-per-view card. So, I mean, yeah. And, and it look, really kind of helped a lot of their issues with their because the pavers have been the biggest weak point with this company up until now. Because so. they didn't, they, it felt like they didn't want to blow things off. And yeah. now we finally got this one big card where they blew everything off. And I hope the praise reaches the right ears. I'm sure it will, yeah. right? And like honestly, if I'm looking at it though, like Pac and Andrade not being on the pay per view, that's a TV level feud anyway. That's to true. me. Like I, there's no title at stake. There's nothing. You know, you, you kind of want that match to go 15 to, you know, maybe 16 to 18 minutes, right? And, like, maybe it's got to roll through a commercial break. But, like, that feels like a – that does feel like a TV blow-off um, anyway. And and instead, you I guess maybe you're replacing that with Moxley and Kojima and, like, a special match, which is just kind of fun, right? Like, but that doesn't have to go forever and it doesn't have to really mean much. So I think it, the card construction ended up as perfect as it could be. So let's start with the main event, which was Kenny Omega defeating Christian Cage in 2119 to retain the AW World title. There were some issues I had with this match. First of all, the build for this did not at all match the actual match we got here. I mean, that's my biggest issue with this match. If you watch the build of this, Kenny Omega spent the entire... I mean, first of all, he lost to Christian already. Second of all, he then spent almost all this build running from Christian... Like he's to the degree where it looked like he was a honky tonk man at times. I mean that that last tag match on Rampage where it was like Kenny and Brandon Cutler against Christian and somebody I don't even remember who the fuck Christian's partner was. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't Christian remember. And a, Christian had a person. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, Kenny spent the entire match running from Christian. That's all he did was run from Christian and let Brandon Cutler get killed. And, you know, that's how they booked this entire thing. They booked Kenny as a total coward. And then they did this match, and Kenny just destroyed him. I mean, he beat the shit out of him. The the heat segment went on forever. It wasn't a bad heat segment, per se. It did definitely not, you know, the crowd. I don't know how you guys felt in the building, but on TV, it felt like the crowd was so burnt out when this match started. And, you know, just really were not reacting to much of anything. It was like borderline WWE crowd level. I mean, just it took forever for them to get into this match, which, you know, does not happen that often in AEW. But like, you know, after everything they saw by this point, I think that, you know, wasn't wasn't their fault. I think the work was pretty solid, but the, the match layout didn't make a lot of sense via the build, you know, given what the build was. So maybe that, you know, excuse me, maybe that didn't help. And, you know, on top of that, you know, I heard from people in the building that, you know, not you, obviously, you can tell me your thoughts in a second, but I heard from some other people in the building that it was a very pro-Kenny crowd, and the crowd both weren't really rooting for Christian, but also weren't really, you know, probably didn't even think he had any chance of winning, and so I think that hurt the heat for it, too, when Kenny is like, like, the guy they want to win is just destroying him for this entire match, basically. Uh, I mean, this heat segment really went on forever, and you know, you know, Christian just did not get a lot of offense. So it's like the guy you want to win is just destroying the other guy. You know, when you're, when the match is obviously designed to get sympathy for the other guy and the crowd's just not buying on that at all. So I think that hurt it. And the other thing that I think could have hurt it too was, you know, people heard the rumors about Brian Danielson and about Adam Cole 
And I honestly believe there was some level of, okay, this went on last instead of CM Punk, you know, in his hometown when his return match. I think there was another good reason for that not to go on last, which we'll get to. Um, so we kind of think there's something going on. Like, I think there was a degree of like, okay, this has to be going on last because somebody big is coming out at the end. And the being two big people, of course. But I think there was that element of like, because I felt it even at home where you're watching this, you're like, okay, this is fine. You know, this is good. But I really want to see who's going to come out. So I think that may have, may have snuck into people's reactions and helped explain why the crowd was, you know, a crowd that had been great for most of the night was like so dead here. Yeah, so I think for for me personally, the thing that takes me out of a match is when I'm like 99% sure of who's going to win. So, and, you know, that's not to say I was taken out of this match because like I was pretty engaged in the whole show, but I did, I mean, there was a sense of exhaustion in the crowd, even honestly during Jericho MJF, MJF, because that was the other match that you were sure who was going to win. Yeah. Right. And they did. They played with that a little bit, which we'll get to as we as we go back, you know, back through the card. And I think that was good. That actually brought some life back into the crowd. Then you get the CM Punk match, similarly exhausting. And then you really come down, you know, so it. It was clear who was going to win this match, like, you know, Christian Cage is not the guy who's going to take the AEW world title off of Kenny Omega right now, ever, probably, but definitely not right now. So that that created a challenge for them to get people invested in in christian now i liked the match as a whole especially after going back and rewatching it and um you know i watched it pretty closely um while i was there too and it 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 i think the match construction was good for what it is i mean it's i don't think it was good though for the build and for what people expected going in sure sure but i don't know what else you do with those two guys honestly like well i thought the the rampage one they had a like a back and forth match is what i think people were expecting here and And i think that they they got i I guess the idea may have been that kenny needs to look really strong when he's about to face brian danielson sure i think there's a little bit of it that is a little overbooked with the table stuff um a little bit too cute with trying to keep christian strong even though he's just He's not gonna get back oh, into this picture. I don't think they kept Christian strong at all. No, but I, I mean, mean they had he speared him through the table. You know, he speared Kenny through the table. They get he got he, they. <laughs> there get, was like a little bit of interference at the end. I will say he was getting uh, creative with the whole "I want to do the kill switch off the top rope" thing, and like it, they they gave him they gave him enough that it felt like they didn't want to bury the guy. Yeah, um, like when they, they probably should have killed like they, they, I felt like they didn't and I feel like they should have I feel like they killed him to a degree because he looked like I mean Kenny destroyed him for so much of this match that I was like is, is Christian gonna win this I just was like thinking like what the fuck are they doing maybe that was the idea maybe yeah he's trying to trick you to, like Christian's gonna win because Kenny's just destroying him for so long because Christian basically had no offense until he finally speared Kenny off that apron through the table. But, you know, you're talking like that was already pretty late in the match. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kenny just like the, the Kenny heat segment went on forever. Um, the, the landing on the table, I don't know if you could see that from where you were, but it was pretty bad. Like they, they landed. Wait, yeah, they missed kind of. Yeah, they didn't hit the middle of the table. They hit the leg of the table and, you know, the edge of the table. And that leg looked like it nailed them both. I mean, that looked like it sucked. Yeah. And um, when they had that table that set up. To, not that it sucked to watch. I mean, it sucked for them. When they had that table set up, I was looking at it like that's not 
it's set up on like a it was set up on a weird angle like it wasn't yeah. set up straight one way or the other it was set up like where they were like this is about where we're gonna land if you spear me off the off the apron and like i guess that's a tough thing to gauge if you if you don't you know kind of map it out plus that other table was still sitting out there the table that they did the double foot stomp with yeah so like also somebody rolled over onto that which probably wasn't uh was not fun but um yeah i mean ultimately i don't think the i don't think the crowd had any i it, it was a pro kenny crowd i will say that um so that that's the truth and there's no yeah there was just no belief that christian was going to win even though he won the the match for the impact title but i think that you know people are smart they know that that means less than the the AEW title so um you're not going to run that surprise back you know two times in a row uh before i, I realize i have to plug the patreon so i guess i will do that in a second <laughs> before we keep going on the show um but yeah so the match you know we do get a little bit of interference at the end where Gals and Anderson ran down. Uh, they they kind of collided with Kenny, so that kind of backfired. And Christian got the kill switch, but he didn't hook the leg. And you figured if he, even if he was going to win, he was not going to win on one kill switch. So I didn't really think much of that near fall. Um, but then Don Callis like, got in the ring to distract Christian. I thought that was kind of stupid. It's like, why why are you just like getting in the ring? It's just a little... A little weird, very, very like uh, Dick Togo esque, I have to say, uh, for the amount of mm-hmm. complaining. I mean, we'll get to that later, but uh, this is this is not that much different than what uh, Dick Togo and Evil do. That everybody hates, so I just want to say that right right off the bat here. Uh, but yes, Don Callis gets in the ring, distracts Christian uh, while Christian's setting Kenny up on the top rope, and that gives Kenny time to recover and rake Christian's eyes. And hit the Avalanche style one winged angel, which I, I gave them a quarter star for that because that was an amazing move. And that was the pen. Um, you know, I didn't love the Rampage match as much as some people, but I think it was definitely better than this one. I mean, this wasn't like bad or anything, but it was just like the, the Kenny Heat segment to me went on so long. The crowd was like so dead for it. And just, you know, the match made kind of made no sense, like I said earlier, for the the build they did. And, you know, it makes sense from a perspective of like, you know, Kenny should be killing Christian, I think. But, you know, just after all that build of like Kenny being scared of Christian and he lost to Christian before and all that, he just killed him. I mean, just was very bizarre. But I went three and a quarter. It was pretty good. Uh, You know, I didn't like hate it or anything, but it definitely uh, was a bit of a letdown as far as the main event goes. So what are you going to do? I I also wonder why does Christian need an avalanche um one winged angel to be put away when I like that, i thought that was just look, to look cool yeah it's just like a cool thing maybe he, it yeah. gives him more time to actually take that bump in a way he can with his neck and back stuff oh, like yeah, truthfully like i i had that thought i was like oh maybe he needed the extra space to like take a flat bump as opposed to like you know like a kind of a crunchy bump so right um i i did i did have that thought but i i also i i was like why why is he the guy that gets the one off the rope when still nobody's kicking out of this move anyway? Yeah. So I don't know. I, mean, but, I did think it kind of, it kind of made sense in the context of the match because it wasn't like Kenny set it up for that way. It just kind of, it just know, happened. Christian, yeah. Yeah. Christian was going for the top roped kill switch. Cause he couldn't hit, he couldn't beat him with the regular kill switch and they're already up there. So he just counter to the move. So, right. And uh, you know, that, something, that, didn't, that didn't bother me. Something a little special for the pay-per-view. I get it. I just thought like maybe you use that on, uh, moxley or you know somebody yeah. somebody a little more significant 
so the Bucks came out to celebrate with Kenny, despite obviously telling that they were hurting from the cage match earlier. Anderson Gallows are out there still, and they were all attacking Christian. Uh, Jurassic Express hit the ring to try and even the odds. They got beat up too. And then Kenny starts cutting a promo about how no one's on his level. I like the line where he said, the only people have a chance to beat me are not here, already retired. I think he actually bots that line and said, like, tired, but it doesn't matter. Or already dead, which is a great, like, ah, oh, oh, no, he didn't kind of mm-hmm. line. But the not here line is great because it's like, you know, you could take that any many, many ways with all the people, obviously, that he has history with the New Japan and stuff. Uh, but, yes, then the lights go out. Adam Cole comes out to a huge pop. Uh, you know, the shirt says all elite, baby. But I, right away, I, I'm sure you guys noticed this too in the building. He came out of the heel tunnel. And I was like, he is joining them for sure. Because like, I, I was like, there's no way Tony Khan had him come out of the heel tunnel for no reason. Like this man is a bad man. Uh, <laughs> so, I, so it's kind of like, I could see someone being annoyed by that and being like, oh, they gave it away. But I think it's awesome. It's like they they really stick to that face heel tunnel. And it's like he's coming out to join them. He is coming out of the heel tunnel. It's a little so Easter egg. If you're yeah. paying attention, you noticed and you, you saw it all coming. But if you were paying attention that deep, you probably knew what was happening, you know, what was going to happen yeah. anyway. So, I mean, when the music first hit, I was like, oh, they, they're really saving Danielson. Huh? And then I thought about him like, wait a second, he's going to join them. And then he definitely going to come out. But yes, he gets in the ring. He uh, teases squaring off with them. He does the Adam Cole Bebe thing, which gets a huge reaction. Huge. Uh, then he super kicks Jungle Boy, hugs the elite. That was, that was a great moment. And Kenny's like, this is one of our best friends. I'm like, you had the Bucks turn on him and kill him and then <laughs> replace him with Marty Scroll. But okay, I'm sure they're going to try to explain that on, on uh, being the elite or something. Uh, and I think they were talking about that when Cole came out at first, when they were teasing squaring off. I think Cole was saying like, you know, you had them turn on me or something to Kenny. So the tease that they were going to, you know, square off. I did like Cole's line that there's, there's Nate, no chance in hell. Anyone is going to stop us. Yeah. I thought that was good. I thought that was good. All the stories about him meeting with Vince, I guess. Uh, But then flight of the Valkyrie starts playing. Uh, Tell us what that was like in the building. I'm sure it was amazing. Yeah. I mean that, that hit, honestly, the Cole pop was the biggest pop of the night. Um, Yes. I mean, and it wasn't, it, I don't even think it's close. Um, it was the most immediate. It was the biggest. It was the, I think, I think Cole showing up was a bigger surprise than Brian Danielson. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. People, people thought Danielson was going to show up on the show. Exactly. Nobody really, people thought they were going to save Cole. Right. So Cole it showed. Wasn't even, it wasn't even like certain he was coming yet. Right. I exactly. mean, people, I read like a report that he had, that WWE had told their marketing team, I guess, to stop using him or something. But that doesn't mean they yeah. couldn't still sign him. That yeah. doesn't mean that doesn't mean a lot. And you know, Britt Baker's doing the the teases and and all that, and she did the Panama Sunrise in the match and all that. So th- I thought they were building up to a Cole. I thought he was coming, but I didn't think he was coming tonight. So yeah, I think everyone expected that moment to be Brian Danielson hits the ring, right? And mm-hmm. instead, you got Adam Cole hits the ring, and that was that was a bigger surprise even though it's not a bigger business move with i mean without a doubt it's not a bigger business move but it was a bigger surprise in that moment so the the building popped huge for that huge adam cole baby i mean like you know i've been in the building for a couple of takeovers and like i've heard that thing you know that whole chant whatever adam cole baby pretty big for you know nxt takeovers 
And that was the loudest, that was the loudest thing I've ever heard in unison. I mean, it was incredible. And I was at the CM Punk show too. So mm-hmm. like everyone all in on that. And I think you had, like I said, you had a, a Kenny crowd. You had a, an elite, being the elite crowd, right? So you've got all these people who travel in for this show in particular. So I think you had a big um, contingent of people that really wanted to see Adam Cole come in and join the elite or face off with them or show up or whatever it may be, right? And so that was huge. And then, but Flight of the Valkyries hits. And honestly, like I was, so I'm in a suite with, 21 basically 21 writers for voices of wrestling which was the best way to experience this pay-per-view ever (laughs) and i'm i sat in the front and i turn around and i see rich creich suit williams um steve case i i'm i'm forgetting people just like literally in the back of the suite just jumping up and down Former guest Paul Vos was there. Paul was there. Paul, yes, exactly. Paul, we back too. We had so much fun with Paul this weekend. Um, Why? Who do you like? Paul's just accent. No, Paul's just really fun. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, who got made fun of the whole time? Nobody. Oh no! Who were you making fun of behind their back the whole time? Not at me. Nope. Was it? Was it Andy? <laughs> no, honestly, the only the, the only time we talked about anyone who wasn't there was people that we wished would have made it out. You know, I mean, honestly, it was. Give me, it. Give me, the, give me the list. Who'd you wish made it? You. Uh, oh, please, please, Chris, come on. No, you should have. Kids up to me here. You should have been there. Um, I don't know. We, you know, people would just come up as as things would go along. We we might have talked a, a little bit about some of the other conversations that had happened in the Slack while we were all mm. uh, there, and I, I rolled ourselves. But you you can put the you can put that all together yourself. No, but I turned around and I, I mean these guys, everyone <laughs> everyone in the suite is just jumping up and down like excited, incredible moment. I mean, honestly, we've all gone through this big show. We had a great barbecue the the earlier in the day. Like we were all kind of probably exhausted but like we just like everyone let it out at that moment um you know and we can see the whole stadium from where we were at and just like people people went nuts but that was the most sustained pop um i don't think it was the most like immediate though um whereas because the most immediate goes to goes to adam cole but like i mean people clearly very excited brian danielson showed up at this show and just like the energy in the building all of a sudden flips to being like this is all happening for real right in front of our eyes right now like this company is changing american pro wrestling and 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 ultimately potentially pro wrestling as a whole and making it like super fun again way more cool to like enjoy because they're not taking advantage of the fan base they're not doing dopey dumb stuff all the time like and all of a sudden you've got these guys who want to be at aew and that I mean, you know, Robert, that's huge. Robert was teasing. Robert was teasing on Twitter that uh, four months from now you might see more jumps. So uh, sure, I'm, I think I, mean, I, I think that's imagine, happening. I can't imagine being like a NXT guy, given the direction of NXT going forward, or like a WWE mid carder and not being like that looks way more fun. I mean, I don't know. if you're in the mid card of AEW, that's way more fun. Yeah, and honestly, they, it seems like they're they're going to have to cycle people up and down. And that and that will probably include the mid card. So, I mean, look at Christian, Christian Cage in a main event of a pay per view. Like 
he shouldn't be there you know like i you know i think maybe if if he had shown up now there's no chance he ever gets there but he had a reasonable build to get there they protected the booking they put him in a situation where it was going to work out and they had a pretty good match it was fine um he served his purpose now with that company and they've got he's gotten them to this point where now he's a uh, a role player probably going forward and he's impacts champion now too which i guess will come into play in some way or some form so it got him more work so but i mean yeah the the building all felt it felt like a movement and i, I say that a lot and i say that in other um circles and other conversations but like aew in these moments feels like a movement it feels like ecw probably felt in the 90s now i was kind of on the outside looking in as a teenager watching ecw but like this is kind of that version of that where like everyone wants to be a part of it in some way or at least have their moment in this company and then mm-hmm. we'll see where that goes we'll see if they have to move on or if they move up and and this company is sustainable when they don't have a bunch of talent to you know take over or do they just keep growing because the the product quality can continue to grow because you have the talent um so we, we didn't mention the end of the show, which was Omega uh, running running away from Danielson. Danielson came out of the Bayface tunnel, and you know he he you know the uh, the, the Jurassic Express and Christian recovered. They squared off. Kenny ran away. Uh, Danielson kicked the crap out of Nick Jackson, dropped him out of his head with the German suplex, and then hit the Bushiaku knee kick on Nick Jackson. So Kenta Kenta has a lot of people stealing his moves in this company now. <laughs> he has two targets. Uh, he has Brian and he has uh, CM Punk. But yeah, then uh, then Danielson shakes hands with Christian, and that is the end of the show. So a lot of different ways this could go from here, obviously. Um, you know, speaking very selfishly as someone who is going to the Queen's uh, Grand Slam show for the Grand Slam Dynamite, I would love it if they somehow build right to Kenny and Danielson for that show. But just seeing Danielson in action in any way will be uh, really exciting. So, yeah. The, and there weren't any like off air tells of, of where things were headed besides that Danielson's a good guy and yeah. he's here to wrestle. Um, he, he did he did a, a pretty significant promo afterwards, but it, it he kind of said all the stuff you think he would say. And I'm sure it'll sh- it's probably already on YouTube in one form or another, if not an official avenue. Um, but yeah, yeah um, I you got to figure they're going to put a big main event in that New York show. Um I don't know. What do you think? If if they build to Kenny Danielson, do you think he wins? No, I think Kenny will retain. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think Kenny's going to drop it to Paige still, and that'll be probably at a, at a full gear, I would think. You think they're going to go right back to it at full gear? I don't know. Maybe maybe they could, switch. They could, they could keep it going until Revolution, Revolution next year yeah. or something. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so a couple of things before we move on to the, the, the semi-main event. Some breaking news from New Japan of America. They announced four new wrestlers for the uh, New Japan Showdown shows in tw- at the 2300 Arena in Philly. Uh, Alex Zane, Chris Bay, Jake Atlas, and Jonathan Gresham. Pretty good, oh. pretty good little lineup there. I'm like, I'm into that as a you know, I have second row tickets to uh, to both nights, and I'm definitely into the into that lineup. And so. Gresham's still a, I mean, essentially a Ring of Honor guy, right? I assume so. I guess that relationship's still technically alive. I mean, it is. They 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 did that weird promo in the middle of Resurgence, and they said, like, in addition to our existing relationship with Ring of Honor, 
we've built exciting relationships with Impact Wrestling and AEW. And I was like, yeah. oh, so the Ring of Honor relationship is um, not exciting. But so that's cool. That's <laughs> awesome. But Gresham's, yeah. is that a match that they announced or is it just they no, just announced those four ta- a talent announcement? Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm into those four names. I mean, it'll be interesting what Jake Atlas can do. Is he booked for the Texas already or is this his debut? I don't remember. Okay. Well, either way, I'm excited to see what Jake Atlas will do on that show. So, And Chris oh, Bay, okay. in they've got a Bullet Club thing next to him. So they're really trying to lean into that being a real thing. Okay, so uh, we do need to plug the Patreon really quickly here before I go into the next match of All Out. So patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Uh, you only pay $5 a month. You get tons of great content. We have our Tokyo Dome uh, main event series, which is about to reach the end of the 1990s. So this coming week, I am doing the final match of the 90s, and I'm done with the entire decade, which is like, this is the, I think, probably the toughest decade to do because, you know, eventually it becomes just one dome show a year with, uh, you know, Wrestle Kingdom uh, and nobody else running the dome except for, uh, you know, DDT's one empty arena show that we will cover, of course, because it happened at the dome. Uh, but yes, the New Japan, uh, the final, I think it was called Final Dome 1999 with uh, Shinya Hashimoto versus Naya Ogawa from October 99. That is the last dome show, uh, you know, the last dome main event we're going to cover in that series. But you can go back and listen to all of them right now for only $5, which it's been probably my favorite series to do. Uh, actually, not probably, it has been my favorite series to do. You know, I don't just talk about the main event, I discuss what was what else was going on in the company what else was on the dome on the card. You know, we just don't go into like detail of each match, but I do go through the whole card and mention anything notable. Uh, we just did the all Japan of the giant Baba retirement show from the Tokyo dome retirement, not Memorial uh, cage match gets it wrong, which we discussed on the episode and, you know, all the, the really interesting stuff that was going on in all Japan, you know, in, you know, May of 1999. So that was a really, uh, really fun episode to research and do. And, you know, the, the Tokyo Dome series, it's going to be wrap up for a little bit next this week. You know, we're going to leave off of the 90s because then uh, we start our daily coverage of both the G1 Climax from New Japan and the uh, the NOAA uh, N1 Victory League. So we'll do daily coverage of both those tournaments on the Patreon. Any show that's not covered on a weekly episode will only be on the Patreon. Plus, you get two Patreon exclusive full episodes because you only get two episodes for free now. Uh, as you probably noticed on the free fade per month, uh, any week there is no free episode. You get a entire, you know, Patreon exclusive episode with a guest, you know, sometimes multiple guests, you know, um, it's definitely more. Basically, if you like the show, it's more of the show. So, you know, and you get like the, the one match episodes that are more like little bite sized episodes, like 20 to 40 minutes usually. And, you know, once we finish up the G1 and the M1 victory, we'll go back to that. You know, I, I take match requests sometimes. I did all the Tanahashi Naito matches in order. I did all the Okada Tanahashi matches in order. Uh, Naito and Ishii. So, you know, it's a lot of, those are all a lot of fun to do. And I definitely, uh, you know, recommend checking it out. So patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Uh, you'll get $5, gets you everything I just mentioned. The bonus full episodes, the one match series, the daily tournament coverage, and, um, you know, anything else we do in the future and everything we've done, you know, for the past like 16 months, a lot of it is, you know, historical content that's, you know, um, what's the what's the term people use 
uh, evergreen, I guess, right? Like evergreen content. So you can always go back and listen to all that, all the Tokyo Dome main events and, uh, you know, Okada Tanahashi matches and all that. So uh, definitely check that out. There's the Patreon plug. Let's get back to All Out. So the semi-main event was <laughs> no BS, Paul White defeating QT Barshow, not Marshall, uh, with Aaron Solo and Nick Komarodo in 311. I mean, really all this match comes down to is, do you believe the, uh, the like the prevailing American wrestling uh, like idea of match structure, of card structure, of super card structure has always been that you need buffer matches between your main matches to keep people from, keep people from getting burnt out. I disagree. I don't. I don't think that's true at all. I like a show that just builds. You know, very much like how Japan does it. You know, starts slow, builds and builds and builds and builds all the way through. Uh, you know, you have a, a great semi-main event right before a great main event. Because, I mean, it, it's not like it helps. Having the big show squash QT Marshall in three minutes here uh, did not help the crowd here the main event. The crowd was still fucking dead for the start of that Kenny Christian match. I mean, they were dead for a lot of it. So I don't buy this idea that a buffer match, uh, that you need to bring people down to bring them back up. I, you know, that's that theory is so prevalent. You'll even see it in, like, uh, you know, the Total Extreme Wrestling booking game and stuff. Where they'll punt, there's like a mobile they'll punish you if you don't do that. And it's like I just don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think you know you you can make a crowd, you can start a crowd low, get them high, and keep them high. I would much rather do that than you know these buffer matches uh, where they feel like they need to bring the crowd back down. I just don't. It's not you know this kind of this kind of thing. I have no problem with the big show. Uh, no more BS. Paul White beating QT Marshall. I mean it was a short bad match. It was like an a one and a half stars. Uh, you know, QT went after his injured hip and uh, no more BS choke slam him for the win. No angle here or anything. No uh, a go-go return like people were speculating. But I have no, you know, I mean, this match just should have been like match two or something. I just don't agree with the idea you need a buffer. So well, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think it was fine. I the, the match was what the match should be, at least. So there's that. But you know, I think it was kind of explained away via Dave Meltzer that they they put that match in that spot so that they could cut it if they needed to cut, or they could give it ten minutes if they needed to give it ten minutes. So, like that's that's the prevailing explanation that's out there, which I'm sure comes straight from Tony. Um, you know, so they they left that match in that spot in case I guess Darby and CM Punk went long or everything else went long, oh, so they could just like get rid of it. Or run it for three minutes. Or if nothing went long, they get ten. Um, ten would have been exhausting for that match, but you know, yeah. So be it. Three and a half minutes was exactly what it should be. It, like so, the match as it as it stood, honestly, it did it give it did give people in the building a chance to like I don't know go take a leak or whatever they needed to do. But I think that would have served them better, like maybe two matches prior. But yeah. I do think their match order got real jerked up by putting the battle royal in and not having it go first. So it didn't, they didn't, I think they ended up mixing some stuff around. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I yeah, just, it was, I don't, it was a match. I don't, I don't, the buffer matches I think aren't, aren't really necessary, but I get it. Uh, match number seven. This was CM Punk defeating Darby Allen in 1640. This was an interesting match. Um, you know, Punk, first of all, he was wearing, where were you on the long tights? I thought they were fine. Some people good. seem to really, some people really seem to hate them in the voice of wrestling flack. Uh, and I thought, I don't know. I thought the tights looked okay. I don't know really. 
I mean, every time he's shown up somewhere different, it seems like he's got kind of a new look. Kind of. Why do do people think he's going to have the exact same look? It's like it's been seven years. Yeah. And the guy wants to change his look up a little bit. Who cares? And he's not young. I don't. Who knows if he's skipping leg day? Right. Like I don't know. You know, I I'm sure he would look fine in the in the same old look, but I think this it it creates a even more separation from what he used to do to what he's doing now, which I think is good. Uh, so we started out with like a very basic type of match. Like Punk was un- unable to break a Darby hammerlock for a little while. I kind of like that. It was, you know, very basic, but just I, one of those things where the longer it goes on, uh, the more interesting it is to me, where like he just couldn't get out of this hammerlock. And I, he, you could tell also, people, so CM Punk, before he went to WWE, always had a reputation as being an in-ring conversation guy. I remember when he first got signed by WWE, um, it was, I think, one of the Death Valley Driver reviews. Because they used to, people who only know Death Valley Driver as a form, they used to do these reviews, um, you know, like just basically review random matches, you know, in one big little article. And I don't know who wrote this line, so I, I just have to credit to Death Valley Driver. But I remember, it's a line that stuck with me like, all these years, like, you know, 15 years later. Uh, one of them just wrote, he was reviewing some random CM Punk indie match after he got signed. And it was like, you know, if CM Punk is going to WWE, you know, I really want to see him uh, talk a lot in this match. He can lay out his matches, his three-minute matches on Sunday Night Heat, you know, uh, in the back. Because this is, people thought Punk was going to be a complete failure in WWE, which is fun. He, he wasn't, obviously, which is, it's funny. But he, I think he wrote something like, if this is going to be CM Punk's last indie run, I wanted to see him grab a headlock and have a conversation. And that line, for some reason, has really stuck with me all these years. And boy, was he grabbing some headlocks. And boy, was he having some conversations. Like, at one point, he, like, literally had Darby in a headlock. And, like, you could see him move his face, move his lips to Darby's ear, and just talk into his ear for, like, five (laughs) straight seconds. And it's like, yes, CM Punk is back. He is having, (laughs) he is grabbing some headlocks and having some conversations. Uh the, the bad side of the match, it was a little boring. Uh, you know, Punk, he worked over Darby for a while. Um, I get that because Darby's such a natural baby face. But zero people in the uh, now arena wanted to boo CM Punk. So they just went dead for that, for that uh, you know, CM Punk heat segment uh, in between, like, light CM Punk chants. Um, and then Darby finally got going a little bit with, like, a nice little comeback. This is where I thought Punk was struggling. He seemed like he was really having a hard time getting himself into position to take Darby's offense during that comeback. Um, you know, he, he wasn't like, it wasn't like he was out of position, but he was really like, he was like having a rush to get into position for each one. And you could see him like, you know, he just looked like he was all red and he looked like he was, he looked blown up. I mean, he was really, uh, you know, people say there's no way to get back into wrestling shape than, than wrestling. And I'm sure he did a bunch of practice matches, but man, uh, you could see him blown up in this during that, that, uh, that comeback, especially. He just really looked like he was struggling out there. And it ended with a nice uh, sunset flip powerbomb, though, from Darby for a two count. Um, and that, the, the good thing about the match, though, is I thought it picked up a lot down the stretch. So I thought Punk got better and better as the match went on. I mean, he did. Like, there was one more little screw up where he, like, he, you could tell he really had a hard time pulling him out of the corner uh, into his close, his short arm clothesline after he hit the step up knee. Like, he had to pull him, like, three or four times to finally pull him 
So you can just that that I, I just chalk up to ring rust and maybe like general exhaustion. But after that, I thought they did you know some uh, you know some good sequences. Uh, Punk went for the go to sleep. Darby like elbowed his way out of it, and he was taking these repeated elbows to Punk when they hit the mat, which I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be like a Brian Danielson tease or not, but it was cool either way. And then he had a, a he got booed for that too, though, which is interesting. And then he had a great elbow suicida to Punk on the floor. Uh, you know, Darby was working his ass off here. He had a, a, a great flip senton uh, from the top rope all the way, you know, out to the floor. He then went for the coffin drop. Punk sat up at the last possible second to avoid it. And, you know, that that looked really good. He tried to back, sort of like back up into a cover, but Darby just like crucifixed him from there. But then Punk lifts him straight up, goes for go to sleep. Darby catches his leg and gets that last separate uh, leg cradle for very, very close near fall. I thought for a second they were going to have Darby win there. I mean, that would have been the way to do it if you're going to do it. I thought it looked, uh, you know, it looked really, it was a really good near fall. And Punk immediately answered with a huge leg lariat. That looked great too. And this was the best sequence of the match by, by a mile. And then they went home right after. Darby went for the Poison Rana. Punk caught him up on his shoulders and finally hit go to sleep for the pin. You know, pretty good. A little boring at times. You could tell, like I said, Punk really had a hard time at, you know, early in, earlier in the match, like early to mid in the match especially. But I thought, like I said, he improved as the match went on. So hopefully it'll all be up from here. Uh, I went three and a quarter. Uh, at the time I said it was a good thing they didn't main event with this. And maybe this is why, one of the reasons why... Uh, they didn't main event with it is because, you know, Punk was like, I'm just not ready to manage to do a main event match on a pay-per-view. But uh, in, in the end, I think I like this slightly more than Christian and Kenny. So, you know, uh, they, and I think the crowd, the crowd was very forgiving. So I don't think uh, there would have been any problem anyway if they main evented with it. But yeah, those are my general thoughts. What was it like in the building? So obviously hot crowd for CM Punk. Um, big, uh, big energy for CM Punk. But Darby... People like Darby. I mean, that's that's there's no question about that. Like people didn't exclusively want CM Punk to win this, I don't think. Um, it didn't come off that way on TV, I have to say. Sure. Yeah, I I don't know. I I did hear it was very much of kind of the old John Cena thing where like the young people and women wanted Darby Allen to win um and so like so like those cheers pierced through when darby was either almost losing or almost winning or you know whatever it may be and then like all the dudes and all the men in the crowd wanted um cm punk to win like they definitely were firmly on the side of cm punk winning so and so that that was kind of an interesting takeaway from being in the building i think the you're right the crowd was super forgiving wanted punk to put on a good match understood kind of what was happening i think which was like cm punk's getting his shit together again and like figuring out how to wrestle on a big show um seven years is a long time it's a very long time i try to tell people that going into it's like that's a long time yeah and he was not i mean he's a good wrestler but he's always been a little more on the story side of things and this was on the story side of things that he's He's good. He used to be really good, and he's got to get his get it together. And if Darby doesn't finish him quick, he's probably going to figure it out and catch him with the GTS and end the match. And that's what happened, right? And I think they teased that kind of cool uh, with 
he gave Darby the the GTS and he knocked him right out of the ring. I thought that was a really cool spot. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. That was a cool spot. That was a cool spot where it was like, oh, they're just gonna do a quick one and he's he's gonna win. And it's like, oh no, Darby flipped out of the ring. And CM Punk's like, oh, I didn't position myself correctly in the ring. You know, it was like these little nuggets of like he still got it, but he's also rusty. So and I thought that they they put the match together really well in that way. I think um darby was a good first opponent for him in the way that darby can darby can move quickly but he can also be methodical it seems um i loved the part or the 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 part of the match where darby went up i think it actually led to the finish darby goes up for the coffin drop and cm punk just like sits up like kind of like the undertaker would and like just gets out of the way it wasn't even like he didn't like roll out of the way he wasn't he didn't panic out of the way he just like literally got that part of his body out of the way quickly um just by like bending at the waist so and i thought that that was kind of a uniquely cm punk way to counter the uh the coffin drop so yeah the the building was was hot but i think obviously there was a lot of people that were in that building that were also there at rampage and that have probably also seen him at dynamite and the next rampage and the you know however many times now so i don't want to say that the allure has has worn off but there may be a part of the happy-go-lucky cm punk allure that has worn off a touch because i don't think um i i expected another like big sustained pop for him when he came out but i think you know part of it was that everyone was ready for it part of it was that we all were really curious what the in-ring version of this cm punk looks like and you know ultimately i think it turned out well i think the match was what i expected it to be i didn't expect it to be a five-star work rate you know whatever whatever it may be but i'm just i'm so curious what they do next with cm punk because i i hope yeah, there, that, were, there were no obvious clues here at all exactly i hope and there's no i don't know there's no like obvious money making thing to do with him next now you've got him in the promotion you've got to get him into like a real program not just like a Darby Allen, you know, like I'm going to call you out and we're going to have a match and it's going to be good. You know, like that's kind of where, where we've been. The obvious one to me is probably MJF because they could cut really great promos on each other and they both are like kind of story guys. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, but MJF wrestles twice, a, three times a year. Um, it's like it's it's ironic. He rarely actually gets in the ring, but. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be good. It would establish CM Punk as like a babyface, but he needs he probably needs a little edge, um, kind of in that I don't know in the way that people like really love to hate MJF. They probably need to give a little bit of that to to CM Punk, but on the on the babyface side of the of the aisle. So yeah, I'm I'm most curious what they do next. I think the match was good. I think the building was a little less hot than I thought it was going to be, but also as we've kind of talked about, like that there are matches on the show that were early in the show that really took it out of the crowd um, just in a, in a positive way, but it's, it was, it, it ended up a long show and, and yeah. we haven't really touched on that. Yeah. I mean, I thought the crowd was more into this than they were the, the, the previous match we're about to talk about, but you know, it definitely took some time to build up. The problem, like I said, was I think a big problem was like the same thing with Kenny and Christian where the crowd really wanted Punk to win, and he was the one working over the other guy for a long time. It just didn't really. It doesn't. It, that 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 element doesn't lead itself to big crowd reactions. I, I've seen that before, even with like you know back when New Japan, uh, you know, used to have crowds that were allowed to make noise. 
Uh, you would see that a lot with Naito matches, where Naito would work heel in the match because he was more heel on the heel side than the, the guy he was facing, you know, if they were from Chaos or Hontai. But, like, the crowd was very pro-Naito, so they didn't have anything to do during this long Naito heel segment. It's like, okay, the guy we want to win is just kicking the other guy's ass. Good, I guess. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't really lend itself to, to big reactions. So, you know, you I also didn't... Sometimes. I don't know if this is a crowd that was going to appreciate like a wrestling match well that's a big problem with aw crowds in general yeah right so i feel like this was this was a little bit of that where they did have like i mean they started with collar and elbow and they you know there was a hammerlock and there was there was a lot of wrestling instead of striking and big moves and things like that so i think that may have they're gonna have to like reteach people especially with Danielson there now. Yeah, Danielson, Punk, uh, even Christian. If you're going to keep him in in that space, right? I mean, and there's there's plenty more that that I think are strongest with that. So that was my takeaway as I was sitting there watching it. Is like I don't know that this crowd knows what to do during just a re- like a regular ass wrestling match. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and then afterwards, Punk shook hands with uh, you know, Punk shook hands with Sting. He helped Derby up. They shook hands too. So maybe like, uh, you know, I've heard Joe again speculate this, that maybe uh, this will become a new trio now. So I guess we'll see. Uh, match number six, Jericho's career on the line. Uh, Chris Jericho defeats MJF in 1936. Uh, first of all, MJF ripping off the Jericho countdown, but then having it be Jericho's last match. That was very funny. I mean, uh, yeah, troll. That was the best troll that they could have possibly done. I mean, just listening to the crowd's reaction, like, ah, like, <laughs> it was just great. Uh, but then we have a disaster. Chris Jericho gets played down to the ring by, I guess, Fozzie's backup guitarist. Now, apparently, this is what I was told on Twitter. I, I, I don't know anything about Fozzie, so I, this is wrong. Blame the person who told me on Twitter. But someone claimed this was the rhythm guitarist, and the lead guitarist was actually sick with covid which, like, given Chris Jericho, given everything we know about Jericho and his personal life, kind of makes sense. But then on the other hand, it's like, maybe they just, maybe if there's supposed to be the lead guitarist, uh, that's why this turned out so horrible. Because, yeah, I don't know if it was like, I heard some people say it was the audio mixing. Uh, I just, I mean, this sounded horrible, whatever it was. Uh, the crowd could not sing. I mean, look, the, 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 the crowd did singing with no musical accompaniment at all a few weeks back for that that last match with mjf way better than they sang with just the guitar and you know no vocals here i mean that sounded horrible i mean tell what was it like in the building because it sounded horrible in person it was terrible um so i mean i I reversed that it sounded horrible on tv i don't (laughs) i don't know anything about fozzy same way you do um but i do know a little something about being in a band oh. playing music. <laughs> That's true. And you know about audio mixing. And too. I know about audio mixing and audio <laughs> audio equipment. Um, like a lot about those things because that's my past. But um, so if it's Fozzie's rhythm guitarist, he can still, he's probably still a really good guitar player. So mm-hmm. that's not a real excuse. The 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 piece about it is he 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 started to play guitar in the melody of the vocals which is not what he normally would do and like that i'm sure was supposed to prompt the crowd to sing along with that 
but the audio in the building was worse than the audio on TV, if you can believe it. So how how this all kind of works, like this dude clearly was not like wired in. So he's using a wireless transmitter for his guitar. And that's being sent probably two different ways, right? Uh, it's being sent from his guitar into whatever amplifier or fake amplifier he's using. And then that's being fed to the TV feed. And then that's also being fed to the speakers in the in the building. And then whoever does the audio mixing is mixing that all together. Now, the guitar sounded fine. Actually, it sounded just, just fine and, and clear as day in the building until the pyro started going off. And wireless transmitters for like a guitar are probably on similar frequencies to wireless transmitters to mm. pyro. This is all, I'm just putting together the pieces. Um, and I don't know that much about pyro, but I know that um, they, they work on similar, like really protected frequencies as certain sound equipment. Um, if you need to transmit really safe data back and forth and it can't necessarily all be wired so either that or the pyro literally just like the heat the fire the whatever of it all just like literally got in the way of those that that you know audio band essentially so the guitar sounded like hell in the in the in the building and i could tell he was like playing and playing generally correctly what he wanted to play because i see his hands moving and um, you know, in, in the right rhythm, but yeah, this was a disaster in the building and it actually, I went back and watched it on TV and it actually sounded better on the TV. So I don't know if that transmission just went better for whatever reason, um, or it was clearer or there, there was some different piece to that puzzle, but yeah, the pyro seemed to mess up the like quality of the audio that was coming out of the speakers. And then the crowd just never really really got it back also i don't understand what they were really trying to accomplish because like this wasn't part of like the the deal (laughs) i guess or was it i don't know like did i know that mjf had no stipulation yeah there's no stipulation they had this stipulation with the one match where he couldn't use his thing and then they're like everyone knew like oh they're just trying to get the crowd to sing it and it'll be cute or whatever but yeah like why did this happen (laughs) they probably thought it'd be a cool entrance for pay-per-view and it just it was anything but. It was I, not. I, I think it actually hurt the heat of the match. Absolutely. Like the, the match itself had very little heat. Like the crowd was, this was like the first match on the show the crowd was dead for. And I think, okay, part of that problem, I think, was, you know, they put the women's casino battle royale we're about to talk about as another buffer after that crazy tag team cage match we're also going to talk about shortly. And, you know, I think the idea was that the women's casino battle royale would be a buffer. The problem is that match ended up being way hotter and especially at the finish was way hotter than uh, maybe they were even expecting. And it wasn't a buffer. I mean, the crowd was still really hot. And then the, the terrible entrance here sort of killed them. And then they never got in the match for until the dusty finish at the end, which we'll, you know, we'll talk about, but the, I, I think it was a combination of the, the Fozzy thing. I, the guitarist thing, I think killed them. And then like you said earlier, I don't think anyone in the building thought Chris Jericho was losing this match and being retired. So that stipulation actually hurt the match, I think. Because this match, I mean, I don't know how you feel about their Dynamite match from a few weeks ago, the No Judas Effect match. I thought that was awesome. I went like four and a quarter on that. I thought that was like, you know, a really, really good match. And this was just like not. I mean, this was just like, you know, it was fine. But, you know, Jericho looked 
Jericho was like really in old and slow mode. Like his offense was very slow at times. Um, you know, that this was this was just kind of bad for a while. And then MJF came back with the heat seeker on the apron, and Jericho came back with an apron power bomb. So that finally did get a little, me a little into it. The, the big moves started coming in and, and started getting me into it. Uh, the MJF arm work, I didn't think really went anywhere, unlike the last match. That, that was another little issue. And then there, there was a cool moment where MJF like countered Jericho coming off the top rope into a nice uh, one-knee code breaker. Great timing from both guys, but the crowd was still still not really reacting. And then Jericho finally hit a lion salt for two count, and that at least got the uh, the old you still got it chant, which is one of my least favorite chants, honestly. It's like this guy, it, it was even more absurd with this guy because it's like it makes more sense when it's a wrestler who like is coming back from something or re- like a retirement, or whatever. Like Jericho's been on this promotion since day one. Why are you chanting you still got it at him? Uh, and this wasn't even that great of a performance, honestly. Um, Jericho did a great, a bunch of punches to MJF, uh, on the top rope. MJF counted to a great top rope power bomb, just like destroyed him with it. But I really, for a guy who usually is not bad at this kind of thing, I thought MJF selling of his back after he landed was pretty horrible. Like his, he just was doing this really hokey and fake sounding screaming. And I, I was like, where did this come from? This was like, were you watching too much of like 2018 Will Ospreay or something? It was just very like. Uh, very over the top. And then Wardlow started coming out to interfere. Jake Hager came out to cut him off to no reaction, by the way. <laughs> did not care about Jake Hager. Uh, the referee, the referee, did, like, again, looked like a fucking idiot here. She was just staring at the two of them brawling for a thousand years, like a complete moron. It's like, what is so fucking fascinating about these two men who are not in your pro wrestling match that you're officiating? Uh, having a fight up the ramp that you have to like stick your head out the ropes like huh they're really fighting huh it's just like what are you so what are you doing uh all that of course was so mjf can uh hit jericho in the face with a bat he then hit the judas effect on jericho jericho got his foot in the bottom rope the ref counted three anyway uh and they did the dusty finish here the other ref came out now normally i would have to bury a dusty finish it's a very stupid finish but it worked here I mean, the crowd that didn't care at all before this, before the restart was suddenly going nuts. So I don't know if it's just like they got the idea in their heads that Jericho could actually lose or something. Um, and that they were really into it after that. But yeah, the, the, the Dusty Finish totally worked here. And Jericho, you know, schoolboyed MJF. MJF got the arm bar. Uh, unfortunately, the big ending of this match was completely botched. Like Jericho was supposed to counter the arm bar into the walls of Jericho. It did not work at all. It took forever. Looked horrible, uh, and that that you know I had to take something off for that because it just looked it looked awful, and that was the finish. MJF tapped. Um, I so I really had a hard time rating this one. It was nowhere good, nowhere near as good as their dynamite match. Like I said, I guess between at the end of the day, I'll say it was fine, but man, fucking up that transition from the arm bar to the walls really hurt the ending for me. But I went three stars on it. Like at the end of the day, it was fine, but uh. You know, pretty disappointing after the Dynamite match was so good. I really liked the finish. Uh, I, I will say that that's kind of the only thing I can add is that like the finish of this match worked. And normally that kind of wacky bullshit stuff like doesn't work for me. But I was like, oh, like, like Aubrey counted three. And I was like, oh, well, so this is just going to continue. They're going to go back on and on with more Jericho MJF stuff. And it's going to be this 
you know, it's just going to keep going. And I was like, all right, cool. Like that's, I guess that's that. Like he's definitely not going to retire on that. And, but so Paul Turner, the other ref, he, um, he's the one who chased off Wardlow and Jake Hager. So they like, it's like they did that whole kind of run in thing because they needed to get him out there, like to get like real eyes on the, on the situation. Oh, so, I see. so like that I knew, was, I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even notice that part. At the well, I, and I don't know that you would, I don't know that they had the, the, the camera work. Have, that's a good point. Yeah. They didn't have the camera on them at all. Right. So like Wardlow, Jake Hager come out, Paul Turner chases them off. He's basically the guy that's like, get out of here, get out of here, get out wait of here. Wait a second. Okay, wait a second. That makes it even stupider that Aubrey, Audrey, is that her name? Uh, that yeah, makes it even Aubrey. stupider that she was looking at them. This is under control. Another referee <laughs> has this brawl under control and you're spending and you're fucking staring at them for no reason. Now I'm even madder. That's so fucking stupid. Anyway. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Um, yeah, so that was at least that that was my perception of it is that he chased them off and then he was out there and that that was the the only reason to get him out there. So he there's probably some dumb pro wrestling rule that it has to be seen by real eyes of a real referee, not on a tape or whatever, right? Um so that worked. The the crowd for at no point during the beginning of that match, during the first part of that match before the first bell or second bell, I guess. Um, at no point did anyone think Jericho was losing, except that Jericho was starting to pepper in a lot of his old moves, I guess, right? Like all of his old signature stuff. And that was the only thing that got the crowd to pop for anything. It was the Lion Salt. It was the Code Breaker. When he would, when he would do any of his old signature stuff, they the crowd would, would kind of get back into it. So once they ran that, though, that last, I don't know, 90 seconds maybe what after the the first bell after the restart of the match that crowd was hot because now you're right like they could they believed that mjf could win that match because they he kind of just did even though it was nefarious and and whatnot but um he still he still had gotten that you know he had gotten that bell to ring and 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 jericho's career but so that that worked. I thought it was cool. I think they don't do much of that in AEW at all. So it was kind of unique in that way. So it was kind of nice that they did something like that. But yeah, overall, the match was kind of a dud. It didn't really have any reason to be on the pay-per-view. You, it should have just been the first blow off that they didn't do or that they did on on Dynamite. I don't know why we needed to do this all twice, um, except I guess to add the retirement stip, which Jericho put on himself. So what motivation does he have to hold on to that? I guess so. It was kind of a weird match. It, it, it I felt like they should have skipped the dynamite match, just done the dynamite match on on this card, and maybe Jericho wins, maybe he doesn't. But the retirement thing didn't really add much to it, except for the I guess the drama of the dusty finish that ended up happening. So it was fine. Um, the entrance, I think, singing Fozzie for that particular crowd to just the regular backing track would have energized the crowd and they would have been really into the match. And I think that they really messed up with that entrance. They got too cute by half. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> too cute by half is a great way to describe that entrance for sure. Uh, the woman's battle Royal and I should probably go a little faster here. Cause this all our is going to be the whole podcast at this rate. There's a lot to talk about. I get it. So, but uh, for some of these matches, hopefully it won't be as much. The Women's Battle Royal, uh, I'm not going to read the entire list here, but Ruby Soho won the thing in 2156. This was a fine Battle Royal. I mean, I thought this was a uh, 
you know, it's not battle royals are not ever great, you know, but I thought they had enough little storylines in here. You know, they had uh, the the what's it called? The, like the Jade and, uh, and Nyla Rose Alliance with Nyla turning on her to get Jade out. That was paid off. Uh, they had the uh, the what's the name? The Bunny and uh, God, Penelope Ford Alliance, you know, and the the feud with the uh, Anna Jay and uh, God, the one everybody loves. Tay. Take Haunty. How you. could you forget? <laughs> uh, the girl's always putting her butt on things, right? Is that, is that the joke <laughs> That's from, exactly from the, the joke from the Slack. <laughs> uh, but yes, I mean, and the people, before anyone tries to cancel me, that's just her Instagram, okay? Go look at her Instagram. It's just her sitting her, her naked butt on things, okay? That's all it is. So go look at the Instagram. I'm being defensive here for an imaginary person again, but seriously, go look at the Instagram. Anyway, uh, a girl loves to put her butt on, what, motorcycles and all sorts of things. Bicycles. <laughs> Bicycles. Bicycle <laughs> racks. Things. Bicycle racks. I was going to say, the, two, the first two are the normal things to put a butt on, but maybe not a maybe not an exposed buttocks. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she was here. You know, they paid off that storyline. Um, and then obviously you had the big surprise with Ruby Soho. And, you know, she was able to win this match. You know, came down to her, Thunder Rosa, and Nyla Rose. Uh, they teamed up Nyla, and they're finally able to eliminate her after a nice little struggle. And Ruby and Rosa did the fighting on the apron thing. That's always the best way to end any kind of rumble or battle royal. And Ruby was able to send her uh, or sort of kick her off the apron to win the match. I mean, her debut was great. I mean, Ruby Soho, she she came across like a huge star when she came out here. And you could tell she was just so happy to be out there. And just having a great time. So that really helped too. And, you know, she is exactly the kind of thing the women's division needs where, you know, they're just, they just, they just need a few more women who, you know, have, they have a lot of, uh, you know, projects, right. They have a lot of prospects like, you know, who don't have a ton of experience, like, a you know, who look, who look good though. Like, you know, like, like Layla Hirsch, you know, she looks good when she's in there. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not talking about looks here. I mean, like literally like they look good at wrestling, you know, Layla Hirsch, uh, Jade Cargill, like they have people who have potential and, you know, but they could use more wrestlers who are already established. And, you know, that's definitely what Ruby's going to bring to the table here. And yeah, the, the, the pop in the building was, it was, it sounded loud on TV. Was it, I imagine it was loud in, in the building too. Oh yeah. 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 And uh, people love the, the rancid song and people, yeah, I pretty much everyone knew this was happening. Yeah. Um and that it was she was very obvious. And that she was the Joker and then you know, it, it was. It was super I mean the the silly But tw- obvious can be obvious is good sometimes. Obvious I mean. is what this company does, <laughs> to be honest. Like yeah. more more than anything in, in their storylines and, and you know, I was talking I to mean, some I was I talking mean, American American wrestling has broken everybody's brain so much over the last 20, 30 years thinking you have to swear everybody all the time. Right. And AEW is just like, let's just do obvious things and make them good. And it's like, okay, shockingly, that works. Which is what built New Japan for yeah. not, you know, not to go completely off, but for whatever, yeah. eight years. Like they did the obvious things and some of them took longer than others. But when you look back on it, <laughs> they did all the obvious things. Um, yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody who was in the area next to us about how in sync people can be if they think about where AEW is going and what they're doing and you can see it all happen, but it's still satisfying. They, they do still find that way to creatively make it satisfying um, to, uh, to the fans, which is, 
exactly what they should be doing. It should be creatively satisfying. Um, even at, not everything's a not everything's a swerve, like you said, and and the swerves are frustrating sometimes because you just want the payoff and you want the good story. Yeah, um, you know what? You know what was a swerve? Having Becky Lynch come out at SummerSlam and beat Bianca Belair in twenty five seconds. That also fucking sucked. Right. So a swerve is because swerves are often pretty bad, especially when it comes to American wrestling. So I mean, there are such a thing as a good swerve and a good time to do them, but. Uh, boy, has American wrestling gone over overboard with it in the last like thirty fucking years. So right. So I mean, even this battle royal, I don't, and I don't know the the details of how many times the Joker wins the you know the AEW battle royal, which is kind of maybe an interesting thing to look at. But like, it didn't feel shitty that Ruby Soho won this battle royal as the Joker, the debuting Joker. Um, because she's good. She's a good wrestler and you may as well throw her in there in a match for the championship and see what happens. I mean, I don't know if she'll win cause Brit's hot and all that hot in a, in the way of, you know, being over with the crowd, but like, so I don't know that that title run is, is over by any means. So maybe she's not going to win that, but shoot, I don't know if anyone could debate if she did. Maybe that yeah. is a way to get the belt off of Brit for a little while and make things interesting in a division that I don't know how many times can you go back to Riho and, and Chris Statlander? Yeah. So I liked it. It was a good, it was a well-booked battle royal and it only lasted like 20 minutes. Yeah. I think I gave it three stars or something, which is, you know, I mean, battle royals have a, have a pretty hard ceiling with me, but it was good. Uh, match number four, the AEW World Tag Team Title Steel Cage match. The Lucha Brothers defeat the Young Bucks in 22.04. So this was actually the longest match in the show uh, by a little bit. And they win the belts. So obviously, okay, <laughs> where do I go with this? This is getting a lot of match of the year talk. A lot of people have it at five stars. Uh, I have to be the grump that says it wasn't quite five stars for me. It wasn't match of the year level for me. And I'm going to try to explain why, but uh, it's going to get people very mad at me now. Before I say anything else, I want to stress, I gave this four and a quarter stars. I thought it was awesome, okay? Before anybody tells me that I hated it and I'm so biased against the Young Bucks, yes, the Young Bucks are not my favorite wrestlers. I'm I'm very upfront about that. Uh, It's why they both have me blocked on Twitter because they vanity searched me talking too much shit about them. But this this match was awesome. I'm not going to try to argue to you that it wasn't awesome. But it wasn't a five-star match of the year, you know, surefire match of the year or even match of the year contender to me. And I'm going to explain why. I thought for a 22-minute match, the... Oh, first of all, the the live rapping of the Lucha Brothers theme song, that was awesome. That ruled. That, that, yeah, that was really cool. Anyway, for the match, I thought the early portion of this match really dragged. They did a lot of running into the cage and such. It got really repetitive. Uh, you know, the bucks were choking them with a chain against a cage. I thought that was pretty boring for a while and a match that's going to be five stars and especially one that only goes 22 minutes should not be that boring for that long. There was like, you know, it picked up with some cool double team stuff. The crowd liked that part a lot. They gave the, this is awesome treatment. I still wasn't quite in love at that point. And then they did a lot of like what I call like move, long setup, move, long setup, move stuff with like no transitions in between. A lot of people love that stuff, and that's why a lot of people rate Young Bucks matches of this kind a lot higher than I do. Um, you know, it really reminded me of a, a lot of their ladder wars in Ring of Honor, which a lot of people 
are almost always more high, you know, were more high on at the time than me because like they just, there wasn't a lot of flow to a lot of it. I mean, there was a lot of like, like I said, we do a move, we do a long setup, we do a move, we do a long setup. It just didn't flow to me. It didn't have any, there were no transitions in between. That was my big problem. Now, at a certain point, it became really, really good. And this is why I still went four and a quarter. Uh, Matt Jackson, I loved him just being a complete asshole, kicking them both in the dick to set up more bang for your buck on uh, Phoenix before Pentagon made the save. Then the Bucks start tearing off their masks. Then it starts getting really nasty, like cage match nasty, where Brandon Cutler throws that bag over the top of the cage. Have to say, great throw by him. Great throw. Uh, <laughs> Matt Jackson gets the gets the bag. He pulls out the sneaker with thumbtacks on the bottom, which we've seen before. Uh, and Pentagon, you know, leaps in front of his brother Phoenix, despite already being bloodied, and takes the thumbtack super kick. And then Nick, you know, sends him into the thumbtacks with uh, Matt sitting on the top rope with the shoe out. And then Nick hits like a running boot in the corner, and Penta's just bleeding buckets at this point. And this part, this felt like an old school cage match. This was nasty. You know, they 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 could have just gone in there and just kept doing moves. And I felt like this is where the match went to another level for me, where like, you know, instead of the normal kind of spot fest stuff, they had a nasty cage match, like a real blow off between two teams that hate each other. Uh, the Bucks gave Penta the BTE trigger. Phoenix dived in to save Penta. Uh, and then he took the, uh, or just before the three count. I mean, that in the building, I've heard that people said thought that was the finish, right? I mean, it came up like watching on TV. I thought it was the finish too, honestly. Yeah. Well, it was the, yeah, pretty there were a lot of things that could have been the finish, um, but that was definitely the biggest. Uh, Matt took off the thumbtack shoe and tried to hit Phoenix with it, but Phoenix ducked it. He went wild on both on both of them. He nailed them both with the shoe and then hit the they hit uh, the black fire driver on Matt, but he just barely kicked out. And then, okay, this part I thought was goofy because you're in the middle of this bloody match now. This fucking uh, you're trying to kill each other, and then Matt and Pentagon are both on the apron with package pile drivers set up on each other's partners. And Penta does his, you know, his little zero miedo thing. And then Matt does it back at him. And I was like, come on, that's fucking stupid. Just kind of too cute for a, uh, you know, what's become a blood match here. So that I didn't like, but then Pentagon did an avalanche style Canadian destroyer on Matt, on Matt Jackson. That looked crazy. And then uh, all four guys, I get stood in a circle and threw like chops and super kicks at each other. A little goofy again for me for what had become a blood match by that point, but not as bad as the, the double power driver. I love that. Okay. I thought they did it really well because they, they did the whole circle chop thing, circle super kick, and then they you thought it was over with one of the young bucks, and then Phoenix pops up and gives another super kick, and then Penta pops up, gives another super kick, and then it was a double down for somebody else, and then all four were actually down. It was it was a really fun moment in the building, and I think it was probably fun to watch on TV too. But specifically <laughs> in the building, like that was when the crowd was like, "This is like we're gonna go ape shit for the rest yes. of this match." That was like the, was, the launch pad. Chris was just like, I think this might be a you problem, John. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> that was I. I get that it was clearly like, but it, the same way that you know, I don't know, Ishi and and Shibata kicking each other in the in the G1 in 2013 it was whoa, like, whoa, whoa, okay, okay, I get that. Okay, Ishi and Shibata weren't trying to kill each other with a fucking shoe made out of thumbtacks. 
that was the beginning of the Ishii Shibata match, kind of. So I will give you that. <laughs> okay, so we're we're both right here, I think. <laughs> I'm just saying, like this is a this would be like if in the middle of the fucking Tully and uh, and Madden TA I quit match where they're trying to fucking stab each other's eyes out and shit. They're just like. Let's do a little shot battle. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Didn't work for me. So I mean, if it worked okay. for me, that's fine. All right, it worked I, for me. I, I thought it was kind of that, and the the double package file drop in the apron. I thought was kind of stupid. Oh, uh, that was yeah. Okay, I'll give you that one. Thank you. That one got an uh, eye roll from the person who sat next to me. Even <laughs> oh, Dave Meltzer, really? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like I looked over and he was just kind of like, eh. <laughs> that's awesome. People always think he just loves everything the Bucks do. He's like, oh. I mean, he loved this match. I'll tell <laughs> yes. you that much. But yeah. um, even that, even that, we kind of both were like, mm, not sure about that one. Uh, Phoenix does the crossbody off the top of the cage on all three of them. That was obviously crazy. And then they do the double team pod driver Nick Jackson. And that is the pin. Uh, again, I'm sure a lot of you are going to be way higher than this than me. That's fine. This was still awesome. Still clear the match of the night. I went four and a quarter stars. Uh, like I said, I thought it dragged early. Thought maybe they missed their peak a little bit at the end, and plus there was a lot of goofy spots towards the end. But those are the complaints, the the good stuff. It was incredible match. They did a lot of incredible spots. The thumbtack shear was great, and really just made this feel like a bloody uh, cage match blow off. So you know, it was gory enough to be a real cage match, and they really and thank thank God they don't do the WWE escape the cage rules, which are the the worst rules for gimmick match like in the history of wrestling. So. Uh, it just makes no sense. Like you're locked in a cage, and now to uh, to show how great you are, you must run away from your opponent faster than they can run away from you. Just very stupid. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, so I've been lucky enough to be in the building for two really wild Young Bucks Lucha Brothers matches because I was also at the All Out with the ladder match. So, and I think the building was hotter for this one. Um, I think. This one was, I think, shorter, too, which I think helped. And everyone expected some, like, off-the-top-of-the-cage stuff. And really all we got was Phoenix doing a high cross to three dudes. Like, a really kind of a safe, <laughs> as safe as you can get, jumping off a cage that that's tall, which is, it's a very tall cage. Um, and, and that led to the finish. So, otherwise, you know, I think people kind of expected a callback to the ladder match or table match or you know whatever i guess it's just a ladder match but um where someone gives someone a canadian off the top of the cage because they did the canadian off the ladder into the table at the last all out that was in chicago um but that would have been probably a disaster and i'm glad they didn't even try it because it probably would have ruined things so this was a really fun match to see live They did a really, I think they did a good job pacing it. I'm glad it didn't go any longer than it did. Um, And I think the shoe, the thumbtack shoe thing was a nice add to like get people to hate on the Young Bucks even more Um, and really just establish that like the people that we're supposed to be cheering for are definitely the Lucha Brothers. Can I just say real quick, I'm sometimes I'm like confused by the level of you'll hate the Bucks get. I mean, I guess part of it's the crowd wanting to go along with it, but like, this is kind of like their promotion, right? And, you know, it feels like they get so much heel heat, even beyond Kenny. I mean, I guess they're so annoying is what it is. But like, yeah, they're... Uh... People just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's that people go with it. 
or if it's that they've done a pretty good job of being like I mean, look, really annoying. <laughs> they should be heels because they are naturally obnoxious people, in my opinion. Clearly, and then and then when you're kind of naturally obnoxious, and then you also like dye your facial hair different colors, like and do the whole thing with the shoes and all that, like they're pretty unlikable. And then people have always wanted to like the Lucha Brothers, and at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They weren't supposed to, I guess. But yeah. now they're kind of, I guess, kind of tweeners. But definitely faces. faces in this match. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, I mean, but I just, I, I can't pinpoint when they flipped over to being baby faces, honestly. Like, it just kind of happened one day. I think. Yeah. Well, it happened when they were like, well, we're going to fight the Young Bucks soon. So we better, you know, be good guys. So, and people want to love them. People, they really do. They want to love them. They want to cheer for them. So, okay, I yeah. thought it happened when Pot came back and like they split from Kingston, but I don't know. So it went away. Right. But Kingston's, the most but popular Kingston turned, guy in the Kingston promotion face Kingston then turned yeah face. yeah yeah so they all kind of flipped ball. at the same time yeah. but not together yeah yeah Kingston flipped after the Moxley match that I remember right because then he was aligned yeah 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 so yeah. I, it's a fun match to be at fun match to see live um I I understand your criticism of the I guess this the circle of super kicks and chops but we had a good time with it uh match number and again i love the match i don't want anybody to come and tell me i'm hating on the match with the young bucks i just didn't love it as much as you did and hopefully that's okay uh i, I mean i didn't mean you i just meant the audience sure. yeah, you yeah. Know? uh match number three although I, I do think you liked it more than i did probably uh match number three was the women's world title Britt baker defeats chris statlander in 1135 this was a good match you know it was physical uh a little clunky at times but like you know, it was stiff, which I always appreciate. I mean, like, Britt was working Chris over, and then Statlander came back with, like, some really nice, like, series of strikes in the corner, which, you know, like I said, looked stiff. And then Chris ended up missing a huge standing moonsault off the apron of the floor. Uh, I guess the pendulum moonsault is what that's called, and that looked nasty. And then Brick, or Britt uh, took advantage with a sick curb stomp. She just jumped right off those ring steps. And then hit the Pittsburgh Sunrise, the big Adam Cole tease, which people sure loved. And then a second stomp, Statlander kicked out, uh, but then she brick out the lockjaw on her, and that was it. She wins pretty much clean. I think there was like a little bit of interference from Reba or whatever. But good match here. I went three and a half stars, and you can definitely see how much Britt Baker has improved, where she just, her execution of moves and stuff is just so much better than it used to be. So, 
yeah, this match was this match was great for for the placement on the card, for what it was, for the builds up to the match. I think Brit has that crowd in the palm of their hands. Brit's one of those ones where like everyone really wants to cheer Brit. Um, so I think that made things a little hard with any sort of um, dynamic with Statlander, but I don't know that it mattered because I'm pretty sure it, this was another one of those matches that you knew. Um, you kind of knew the result going in. It would have been a, a big shock if, if Statlander won this match, but much better match than the last time Statlander had a championship match in Chicago on a pay-per-view for AEW, which was the one against Nyla Rose after the Young Bucks, um, Kenny Omega, Adam Page match, which was an absolute disaster. So this, you know, she's she came to play a little bit harder this time, or she, she was in good health this time, I think is what it was. Um, so and I think this was a pretty good showing. There was the moment where Orange Cassidy got like super riled up and like super um aggressive to say oh, yeah, like, that was cool. Yeah, like that get into cool. it, Satlander and all that. And I don't know if that's like a cue for what's gonna happen in the future with him or if we're starting to see a different side, or if that was just like a way to add some levity to the to the match. But that was a neat that was a neat thing that happened. That was it was noticeable. Uh match number two was John Moxley uh, defeating Satoshi Kojima in eleven fifty two. Uh this was this was really good, I thought. I mean, first of all, though, why did Satoshi Kojima come out of the heel tunnel? It's very bizarre. It's like he's definitely not a heel in New Japan. I hope this is not Tony Khan telling us all Japanese people are heels in the American <laughs> wrestling tradition. I hope this is not like, oh, he's fighting Moxley, so he must be a heel. I mean he didn't do anything heelish at all. Well so Moxley like, doesn't even he... use the tunnel, so who cares? That's true. Why the heel tunnel? It's very weird. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say that is a that's an interesting detail. Uh, Moxie had a nice dive to the floor. He was then working over Kojima's taped hand back in the ring, and he he was basically working as the heel here. I mean, he was like taunting Kojima as he was like chopping him in the corner and stuff. I mean, you know, he would and Kojima worked as a trouble babyface, which makes the heel tunnel thing even more confusing. Uh, Kojima did the machine gun chops, the elbow in the corner. He did his signature, let's go, you bastards, yell, and nobody did it back to him, unfortunately. Uh, so this, these people knew who he was. They, they knew who he was, and they gave him a nice pop, but they were not uh, hardcore enough to do that that yell. So, I mean, I'd have to look it up first to do it, too. So I think we, we had it in the suite, but we were so far away that you weren't uh, going to hear it. You did do the yell? I did. Maybe. All right, you go. Can't speak for everyone, but I, I'm sure Paul did. Paul was wearing a cozy, uh, cozy lariat shirt, so... You know, we were pretty invested in this match. Kojima did the elbow drop off the top. He had a DT on the apron. That was pretty cool. And we got some uh, some nice lariats. Oh, one point. So Moxley ducks a lariat from Kojima and then drops him right on his friggin' head with a German suplex. Uh, Kojima came back with a standing lariat and the Koji cutter, but he was out and couldn't cover. Uh, the only thing I didn't like, and this kind of took the match down a little bit for me towards the end, was I thought their elbow exchange was pretty pedestrian. But it did end in an exciting way with Kojima hitting a roaring elbow out of nowhere, only for Moxley to bounce off the ropes behind him and hit the rebound lariat. So it gets points for a good ending, but the actual elbows were not much. Uh, Moxley locked in the bulldog headlock. Kojima makes the ropes. And then Moxley hits several middle kicks on Kojima. Just the image of a, a man in jeans... Uh, a white guy in jeans throwing fucking middle kicks was really funny to me for some reason. <laughs> and they were good middle kicks, too. They just looked very odd. And then he finally delivers two straight paradigm shift DDTs, and that gets the pin. I thought this was a lot of fun. 
I went three and three quarters. I, this is like the one match on the card I seem to be higher than people on. And they're like, I'm sure people are like, yeah, John, you're Japanese bias. But uh, I, you know, like I'm not that much higher. I mean, the gravel average last time I checked was like 3.49 or something. But uh, yeah, I thought this was really good. I had a lot of fun with it. I this was the match I was most invested in, maybe because I love uh, New Japan. But um, it was it was kind of exactly what you would imagine a Kojima versus Moxley match on a you know second on a card on any card to be. Um, but I think it was good. I think it was exactly what it needed to be. I think they both had a good time. I think I, it obviously would have been a shock for Moxley to lose this match, uh, given the circumstances, but it was cool to see him come out. It was cool to see the lion mark on the big screen behind him, you know, to, to continue to affirm this relationship that I think, um, is beneficial to both sides. And, you know, when, when Kojima tweets something like, you know, I just, I love to hear the roar of a crowd. <laughs> I mean, like it all, I mean, not that it didn't already make sense to me why these guys are coming over here, Kojima, Nagata, Suzuki, like you name it, like all these guys are coming over here because they literally just want to hear a crowd that can cheer <laughs> and whether they're cheering for them or against them or for somebody else on the same card as them. Like they just want to hear that and like feel that like in their bones again, because like, that's what, that's what these guys are all about. And, and any country in the planet and Japan's, you know, become the country that's decided that cheering is going to spread COVID, you know, that makes things really challenging. And I'm sure super challenging for a guy who's been doing it for as long as him too. So glad to see that he could come over. And what you just said should, I mean, I've seen some insane takes on the lack of cheering in New Japan. And one of the, one I've seen is like that somehow this is what New Japan wants. And it's like, no, the moment it is socially acceptable to allow cheering at an event in Japan, they will allow cheering. Like people are out of their minds if they think this is somehow what New Japan wants. I mean, I've seen that take a couple of times and that is insane. And it's like, I don't, I, I, if you only watch New Japan, I guess you don't know. But it's this is not just a New Japan thing. This is every wrestling promotion in Japan and every sporting event, every event. Like I know people who are really into idol concerts and they can't fucking they can't do the cheers and the screams they the calls they normally do. I mean, it's everything. No one can cheer in Japan. That's just they tell you on roller coasters not to scream. Scream okay? in your hearts. Scream in your hearts. That's how crazy they are at this right now. I mean. You know, we'll get into that when we get to New Japan in a second, because I have some more to say on that. But yes, the wrestlers want to see, uh, the wrestlers want to be able to uh, be in front of people cheering. That is obviously very true. Speaking of people cheering, Minoru Suzuki's music hits <laughs> post match to a gigantic pop. You guys must have been going crazy in the sweep for that. I mean, yes. Like the only thing comparable was when Brian Danielson came out. Like we, we all should have thought of this. Right. Like, I think we've we've seen this take your post on Twitter. Like everyone should have known this was going to happen, but no one put it out there because you're there was so much speculation about other things. And for any number I thought of reasons he was coming in, I thought he was coming in to be Lance Archer's partner uh, against whatever the fuck that guy's name is. Uh, the the fucking MMA guy that I don't care about. Oh, right. Sure. And and I thought he, he, he was going to be Lance Archer's partner against his tag team, uh, Men of the Year, which is, in hindsight, it's very stupid of me because this is obviously a way bigger spot. And, uh, I mean, he could still do that, I guess. 
but after he has this moxie match because they're doing it on wednesday on dynamite right uh but yeah this was in hindsight this was so obvious i mean he's, he's clearly in the country i mean he's gonna be all over the fucking country so. everywhere he's got he's yeah. doing a big tour of the u.s we should have we all should have known that this was so i you know i think i had posted somewhere or told someone that moxley hinted at someone a mutual friend that you should follow him to cincinnati if you can um and like i was like well what could that possibly mean i was like i didn't even i didn't even think about oh fucking minoru suzuki is gonna show up and then they're gonna have a match immediately thereafter um and i mean how fun was that like the crowd knew suzuki that's for sure um not new they went crazy. Nuts. I will say the Kazi Ninare did not sound as loud as the one, as some of the ones I've seen in New Japan of America shows. Like that one, it, nothing to me over top that LA show. Sure. Uh, Strong style of Bob, where I feel like that was the loudest one of all time. To the point where even like Milano and them on the Japanese commentary were uh, going crazy about it. But this was still very loud. I mean, it was still very loud. It was pretty good. I mean, like pretty good. Not as big as the Adam Cole Bebe participation, but probably 70 percent of that at least and that's pretty yeah. that's pretty solid so i mean yeah and we were it obviously way, it could just be the way aw makes the crowd too sure and we were going nuts in the with our group like it, all of a sudden that the music hit and like just our suite in particular probably was like the the first pop that you hear <laughs> and and then just like the rest of the building just went went wild so it was it was it that was my favorite moment of the night being in the building and you know for obvious reasons for you know my associations and things like that but man that was a heck of a surprise really awesome um i don't know did we ever explain that you you all of you guys were in a suite i don't think we ever explained that oh i don't know yeah because we've said the suite a few times so all like all the voice wrestling people at the show almost were in one suite so that's why chris keeps talking about suite yeah rich was really worried that the the building was going to burn down and there would be like joe lanza and you and kelly (laughs) left to run the site and like kevin and robin and like that was it was going to be a real thin staff uh from there from there on out there were so many people there yeah I mean, I would have gone to this if I wasn't going on vacation literally a week later. I mean, that's really all. It's not like, oh, John hates AEW. That's why they weren't there. I just have a vacation in a week. So it felt very stupid to. I, I still looked up some flight prices at the last minute, but like they were they were too expensive. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was that we I'm going on vacation in a week and it felt very dumb to fly to Chicago a week before I fly uh, elsewhere. So, you know, what are you going to do? In hindsight, I wish I went, but I didn't. So uh but yeah so the, the angle we didn't even mention the angle so he basically they trade elbows and kicks suzuki put him down with a sleeper and then hit the gosh style power driver uh it was basically the exact the same, same angle right we like, did at wrestle kingdom <laughs> and, i mean it really because that was because it was the same thing moxley had just beaten somebody yep in that case he had just beaten juice robinson for the u.s title and then suzuki's music hit and he came out and laid him out uh, and the crowd again went crazy because uh, they didn't think suzuki was going to be because suzuki was not booked on either night of wrestle kingdom that year this was 2020 and so what wrestle kingdom 14 i think or no way later than that what am i talking oh about? yeah that's 14 oh it's 14 okay yeah because this year is... this year's 15 this past year is 15 right yeah yeah so that's 14 yeah um anyway so 14 you know he comes out the crowd goes crazy because they weren't expecting to get to hear his entrance because uh you know he wasn't booked on either night and he lays out uh, he lays out Moxley and they do the match the next month at New Beginning, which was an incredible match. I went like four and a half stars on it. 
Uh, we'll see what the Dynamite ones from this week can match up to that. But yeah, I mean, it was it was really good. Uh, really good angle. I don't really blame them for just running it back again. And the crowd went crazy. So yeah, as that as as it was happening, I was like, oh, if he hits the gotcha, it's like I was sitting in the street. I was like, this is the same thing they already did. And I was like, and it's still awesome. Yeah. Um, and the match. Yeah, I'm not I'm not complaining. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, I was great, like, it was sure, it worked in Japan. Run it back in America. Do the same exact thing. Don't even reverse it. Don't even have Moxley lay him out. Just have have Suzuki lay him out and call it a day. I mean, that's yeah. the that's the simplicity of that booking. Um, you know, you, they ha- you build the match. One, they have to do a promo with Suzuki subtitles at some point. I don't know if it's on Dynamite or it's just a fucking road to or something because he is like one of the all-time greatest Japanese promos. They have to do it. They have to do a promo. Let Suzuki cut a promo on, on Moxley subtitled. I do know, wonder. Samples. I do wonder if that that's got a main event, that Dynamite, right? Uh, unless they have something with Danson or Cole, I guess. Yeah, they would have announced that, you'd think. Moxley yeah. in his hometown. I feel like yeah. you, you just you throw that on last, and it's awesome. Yeah. And they shoot, they could book that match the same way they they did the first match, and I'd be cool with it. Because yeah. that, that match made my top 10, I think. Yeah, that match was awesome. Uh, the opener of the pay-per-view was for the TNT title. Miro defeated Eddie Kingston in 13-22 to retain. We're almost going two hours just on the show. Uh, so I will say very quickly here, I thought this was a great match. I mean, they you know, beat the crap out of each other. You know, they told a very simple story where Miro was too was dominant. Eddie kept trying to fight back. He kept getting cut off by one good shot from Miro. And the the pop when Kingston made the bottom rope when Miro got the game over locked in was awesome. Um, the only thing I didn't like about this match was the finish, which was, you know, it just took so long to set this up uh, with his turnbuckle pad getting taken off and Bryce putting it back on and then actually knocking it off again. And then, you know, Eddie going to ram, uh, Eddie goes to ram him in the, into the fucking turnbuckle. Bryce stops him and that lets Miro low blow Kingston and then hit two straight kicks for the win. I mean, I just thought the the finish, and again, this has always been my big problem at AEW, is these finishes are really goofy. Um, you know, they it, this, that finish did not match the tone of the match at all to me. I mean, these two guys, you know, just killing each other. I wish they just let Miro beat him clean. And I get the idea maybe they're going to do a rematch in Queens or something, but you could do a rematch after Miro beats him clean. It's not like anyone's going to fucking complain. So I don't know. I just thought it was completely tonally off from the rest of the match. The setup for it took forever. So that knocked it down to three and three quarters for me. I still thought it was great, but it was like trending at four, maybe even like four and a quarter before uh, they went into the really over overcomplicated finish. So what are you going to do? I had a, I at some point during the match, I thought they might go time limit because they had announced the 20 minute time limit and they actually did a 10 minute call. And I was like, oh, that's a cue that they're going to do. Oh, they always do the 10 minute call. Not on the rest of the matches. Uh for the 20 minute time limit matches, I feel like maybe maybe for the 20 minute time limit matches, yeah. which is not many of the matches, I suppose. But yeah, uh, I think it's a TNT title thing. Okay, cool, yeah. great. Well, I thought they might go time limit. <laughs> um, they obviously did not. The match was good. It was hot in the building. Um, the I think the finish ties into Eddie Kingston saying "redeemed these nuts" the other night. And I think the so the low they, uh, they, low blow. they wanted to get to a low blow so that there could be a I redeemed your nuts tweet later from yeah. Miro. Like I do think that all kind of tied together as contrived as that may be. Um, there, were, there were better ways to have a low blow than what they did. <laughs> yeah, the whole Bryce misses the the pin because he's fucking around trying to get the 
They uh, make their referees look so fucking stupid they, in this company. They do. Um, like New Japan level, maybe worse, honestly. Well, Bryce especially, like he just plays it up like he's this big dopey idiot that never knows what's happening anywhere around him. But yeah. um, that's how referees in wrestling are in a lot of places. I don't think that's exclusive to AEW or no. New Japan. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so I would love to see a rematch in Queens. I think that's the right thing to do with Eddie Kingston. And as a ticket holder, I agree with you. I think somehow you get him to win too. Yeah. Um, Cause that's a moment. Um, Cause I don't know the other option I think was going to be Santana and Ortiz to do something and, and maybe, yeah. and they will, I'm sure, but maybe not a title change in that way. So, yeah. and I don't think you can get Eddie Kingston into the AEW world title, you know, situation yet so i think yeah you try to build that back and 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 somehow get to that but who knows they probably have a lot of plans for for queens in two weeks in three uh, yeah i think it's yeah two weeks two dynamites right yeah yeah well there's well there's queen there's three dynamites there's uh cincinnati Cincinnati, then uh newark and then queens so yeah well two dynamites between now and then yeah yeah there you go Mm mm-hmm uh, the bo- pre-show match, really not much to say here. Chuck Taylor, Jurassic Express, Orange Cassidy, and Willa Yuta beat the Hardy family office. Uh, the Hybrid 2, Private Party, and Matt Hardy in 926. Uh, I didn't think this was very good. I mean, there was some stuff here that looked horrible. I mean, the one spot especially was like Private Party did some kind of like double team flatliner on the other guy's knees on Orange Cassidy and it looked really bad. Now, I don't even really know what what went wrong exactly, but like he basically landed at like quarter speed. Um, the blade got involved. So, and then Marco stunt jumped on him and everybody did their moves, but yeah, I don't know. I saw some people say this was good. I did not think it was good. I went like two and a quarter. I thought it was decidedly below average. It did get a little better down the stretch, but then the post-match saw the return of the butcher. There you go. The, the biggest debut return on the show. Of course, the butcher. I'll say yeah. this. He got a better reaction than the last time I saw him in that <laughs> building, which was his debut at the company where everyone in that building was like, who? <laughs> the, um, butcher and the, the butcher and the blade showed up and everyone expected it to be like some big thing. And it was just not. So um, at least people know who he is now. So that's the positive. Um, I did think this was pretty much a, a, what you want from a, a pre-show match, which is just like, kind of generic exciting movement um but i could never see private party wrestle again and it would be too soon so but that's a i think that's they're just everything's at half speed or wrong i don't know they don't they still haven't put it together there you go all right so that's our very long all-out review which almost took two hours so we got to get right into new japan uh the russell grand slam night one and two uh before i get to the matches the first thing i have to say about this i saw so many incredibly stupid takes about the current state of New Japan after these shows took place. Here's what I want to say, first of all, the clap crowds. We do not need, like, I do not need to read a fucking 50-tweet thread from certain people on Twitter. I have to say, mostly the European contingent, for some reason. Every time there's a major New Japan event, either happening or upcoming, which in this case was both. All these people are like, oh, uh, imagine watching another G1 in front of clap crowds. Oh, I can't even imagine doing it. It's like, we get it. Nobody likes to clap crowds. There is no purpose to tweeting about how bad the clap crowds are 
except I guess because you have to have something to tweet about. I just don't like, I don't understand the point anymore. It's like, it doesn't, we all understand how bad the clap crowds are. There is nothing new Japan pro wrestling can do about the clap crowds. It is not their, their choice to have this it is a culture and, and company wide, uh, culture wide, uh, country wide, whatever you want to say. Everyone has to deal with the clap crowds. It is not something New Japan is choosing to do. It's not something anyone likes. We just talked about how Japanese wrestlers are coming over here to try to avoid it. It's just not a, it, it, it just is not anything that anyone has any control over. So reading these tweets, it is like the most repetitive and stupid topic when it comes to wrestling Twitter. It has nothing. I mean, there's, there's just nothing there. There's nothing to say about it anymore. So I don't know why the fuck people do it. The other argument I've seen people make is this idea that, well, if New Japan is going to, has to have these clap crowds, which they do, again, the entire country has clap crowds and everything. If New Japan has to have these clap crowds, then they could at least do us all a favor and stop having long matches and go to 10-minute matches. Okay. Do you know how long this, this show would be if five matches were 10 minutes each? Do you, This show would be like an hour and 20 minutes. If you had five 10 minute matches, I am being generous for like entrance time and other stuff and intermission. If you, if you say that's a half hour total, that is an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. People who are paying their money to go to these shows do not want to watch a 90 minute card. They just don't, you know, I mean, they just don't want to watch the card. It's not something anyone wants to watch. No one wants to watch a 90 minute card. Okay. So this idea that they could just make these matches way shorter and, you know, make it work. It just doesn't make any sense. There's just no, no one's going to pay to see a 90 minute card. They have a hard enough time as it is convincing people to come to these shows, uh, you know, in the middle of a, like Japan's biggest COVID outbreak of the entire pandemic so far, you know, I mean, they, they, they're trying to, they're trying to draw fans uh, and clearly not doing a great job. I mean, you know, we look at these two, two crowds, it was 2095 and 2780. So, you know, in buildings, I think could have hold 5,000. I mean, you know, definitely can't say the, uh, you know, I mean, the, I, I see, again, some people taking, I think, a little too much from the, these crowds. I mean, you know, they, they had the shows had no build at all because half the roster is out with COVID. I mean, it's just not a good situation in Japan right now when it comes to COVID-19. But when I read these people come on Twitter, and especially these people who live in America or the UK or in all these other countries where we are about to have 700,000 people in America die of COVID-19, okay? I mean, not about to. We're going to hit that number at some point. We have over 1,500 people dying daily of this disease. So yes, America has decided that that we don't care about COVID anymore and COVID's over. Japan has not decided that, clearly. Japan, you know, has had, uh, I believe, 16,000 COVID deaths total since the entire thing started. I'm not saying they handled it perfectly, yeah, 16,369. But, like, getting on Twitter and complaining that another country is still treating the disease like it exists, which uh, is what you're basically doing when you complain about the clap crowds, does not make any sense to me. It's like, yes, if they, clearly if they want to have, you know, Hundreds of thousands of people die like we have in this country. And like the UK has had too, since it's a lot of complainers from the UK. They could fucking let people show up in full buildings and scream and do whatever the fuck else you're talking about. Clearly the way they've handled COVID so far has reduced the number of deaths. I mean, that's just, it looks like pretty much fact to me. So 
getting on Twitter and complaining about how a foreign country is handling this disease that's still out there when you're from a country that has utterly failed at preventing deaths from this disease is fucking stupid. It makes you look like an, it makes you look like, you know, somebody who has no idea what they're talking about. So Japan's vaccinating people as fast as they can. They're actually going to pass America in number of people vaccinated shortly. And hopefully people can cheer again uh, at some point. I'm, I'm betting it will be like, like, like next spring, probably at the earliest. But like to get on Twitter and complain about the cloud crowds, it's just such a fucking stupid argument to make. I'm tired of reading the tre- reading the tr- the uh, the tweet threads. It just it just fucking sucks. It doesn't do anyone any good. It is what it is. The situation is what it is over there. It's not going to change because you wrote your 500 500th tweet about it. I mean, that's all, about all I have to say about this. I don't know. <laughs> For my takes on this, I'll point everyone to the last time I was on. <laughs> wrestling omakase and i because it keeps coming up like, i know wow, it does we, we've, we've had 16 months of this and people somehow still act like it's some fucking shock or like they don't know what's going on i mean clearly you should be used to it by now i don't know what to tell you just don't watch new japan if you can't handle clap crowds right now just don't watch new japan don't tweet about it pretend it doesn't it's not running and then when it's coming back with real crowds again whenever the fuck that will be you can try you can sh- see if it's for you then but clearly it's not for you while there's clap crowds. If the sound of people clapping so offends you that you cannot watch some really good matches over the course of these two shows, then clearly you can't handle New Japan right now. I don't know, I don't know what else to tell you. There's nothing from there's nothing I can do to help you. So And also the matches on these two particular cards were not all that long. They weren't that long. There was one <laughs> match that was an eighteen minute main long. event. We had an eighteen minute main event. There I was mean, one match that was egregiously long, but they did not go like 30 plus like we've seen nope. uh, or 35 plus. Like there was the main event on night two was exactly 30 almost. But yeah, there have been longer matches for sure recently. Uh, I did not have any problem with the match length except for one match, which I'm sure you could probably guess what it was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there were some really good matches in these shows. There is still really good wrestling in this company. Okay. This company This company had more matches on these two shows at a high level than All Out, okay? That's my take. If you want to rate me over the coals for that one, you can. But this company had more great matches on these two shows than AEW had total. AEW is a great company, very exciting, but the in-ring style of New Japan is still better. The wrestling is still better. And if you are, you know, out to see great matches more than you're out to see the sound of people cheering, I guess, or hear the sound of people cheering, then New Japan is still going to have uh, plenty to offer for you. If you just cannot handle the cloud crowds, I get it. But there is still great wrestling taking place across these shows. And, you know, my match of the year list is still, I think, six out of ten New Japan. And, yeah, the booking isn't good. Clearly the booking has not been good during COVID. But, like, you know, I, 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 I do still have sympathy for them. I mean, they... Look at all the problems they've had in the past month. They lost half the roster to COVID-19. I mean, I feel like that's the kind of thing nobody ever acknowledges when they're talking about this situation. I mean, they were without the entire LIJ unit except for one guy. They were out Kota Ibushi for two months. They were without, uh, you know, like Evil, the, the, the main event challenger of the, of the second show. I mean, they lost a ton of talent during the build of the show. How can you book anything 
long-term when you never know who you're going to have available because of this disease. I mean, as long as they're actually going to treat this disease like it still exists, which America is clearly not doing, I mean, they're still going to, they're going to have issues. I mean, they're just, you know, you're comparing, comparing a country that is still treating a pandemic like a pandemic to a country, you know, promotion that gets to run in a country that's just operating like there is no pandemic anymore. Uh, you know, have 1,500 people, dead people a day be damned. I mean, it's no comparison. Obviously, AEW is going to be more exciting when they're allowed to run in a country that's open versus New Japan. That's just that's just how it is. So you can talk to me when it's a fair comparison when, you know, New Japan's actually open. And, like, the comparisons are so stupid anyway because the, the two companies are friends now anyway. They're, they're, they're trading talent. I mean, you know, New Japan sending guys over there. You know, Brian Danielson says he wants to go to New Japan when the quarantine's over. I don't know why people pop on Twitter and like, oh, AEW's using New Japan guys better than New Japan uses them. It's like, yes, one company can run without any restrictions and one company can't. It's not exactly a fair comparison. One company is ice cold because they can't have people cheer in the building. And one company is red hot because they can and they have a million jumps going on too. So, yes, obviously AEW is hotter right now. But other than that, the comparisons are very stupid. Anyway. The cool thing is you're allowed to watch both. Yes, that too, obviously. Like, so here I am. I'm like, <laughs> I had a great weekend watching AEW. Um, I had a great weekend also watching New Japan. Like, I, I get up and watch these shows live. Like, almost all of them. Any of the big ones. I don't, I do not get up and watch Road 2 shows live. I'm, you know, but... These shows, I was up and I watched them as they happened, and they're the best. It's still the best in ring wrestling on the planet. The most exciting wrestling on the planet, sure, yeah, that's AEW right now. But you know what's going to be really cool when those AEW guys who want to come over to New Japan, they make surprise appearances in Japan, and that's yeah. going to be the next thing that that's going to be the thing that happens that everyone's going to be really excited about and i might search your twitter and find when you were talking shit so <laughs> like i mean it's, that is gonna happen it's when, absolutely when gonna the, happen when the world reopens people will go both ways i mean it's just it, that's a thing that will happen so and new japan is smart and they're gonna do it as surprises the same way AEW does it as surprises and brian danielson's gonna show up and announce himself for something cool um and it's gonna make huge waves and Jericho's probably going to come back and Moxley's going to come back to, to Japan and like God knows who else, right. is going to pop up just in, in Japan to do something really cool. So this is not a one way relationship and it has been so far pretty much. Yeah, because uh, of the, the way the, because of the way No one could get, no get a visa. Clearly when things get better, things will be different, but I mean, I mean, it's going to be wild when things get better. Yeah, I, that's yeah. my, like, I guess maybe that's a bold prediction, but like, the crossover, I think, is going to be insane for a little while I mean, because it's be fun. And you talk to people. I mean, they have plans. There's a lot of plans. There's a lot of plans. I mean, I you talk to even more people than I do. I talk to some people, and they have they have concrete ideas for what will happen when the world reopens. I mean, this is not the two of us sitting here speculating. They there is going to be stuff, and people will go crazy for it. So your tweets about how New Japan is dead, R.I.P. It's going to look pretty fucking stupid whenever the company can actually reopen and use the relationships uh, to its fullest. Just like how Minoru Suzuki coming out on on a pay-per-view at random is super in front of a cheering crowd is very exciting. The reverse will also be true. I mean, things will be exciting in Japan again, too. 
but you know, these weird people who just really want to bury, like there's some people who just want to bury new Japan at this point when, you know, I, I mean like literally like throw dirt on them and say they're dead. There's some people who just want to bury Japanese wrestling and say it's dead. And it's like, no, I mean, it'll, the, the world will change. It's not like this pandemic's going to last forever. So I would yeah. absolutely still rather watch these two new Japan shows than some dusty ass warehouse rev pro show. <laughs> and I like some of those wrestlers on rev pro, but that atmosphere sucks too. So yeah. get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the fucking takes are just so stupid. You could tell like these people have been saving it up for a long time and, you know, and, and, I don't know. Like, it's just, there's some, I mean, I'm not exactly, uh, I don't think I'm reflexive New Japan defender. I call out their shit when I think their shit sucks. But there is plenty of good matches on these two shows. I mean, they just, you know, if if you don't think they were, then maybe you really shouldn't be watching New Japan for a while. Uh, the main event of night one uh, was Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Kota Ibushi in 1747 with the high fly flow. He makes his first defense of the U.S. heavyweight title. Uh, so they debuted a list of the U.S. champions before the main event. That was really cool. That was cool. They're just going to do that. They're going to do that for any belt, I guess, when that belt is made of, made of ending a show. So, you know, that was a cool little list there. Uh, this, of course, was Kota Ibushi's first match back from his long-term illness absence. He last wrestled on July 2nd, almost exactly two months ago, when he beat Yoda Suji at Korokin. Uh, Tanahashi, he, at one point he goes for the high five flow. He hit Ibushi's knees and then Ibushi immediately grabbed his arms and hit the Kamigoe. Uh, immediately might be a little too strong. He did have to like, let go of them and then grab them again. Cause I guess he got twisted up or something, but I still thought it looked pretty cool. And we got the 15 minute call where they were both down from that one. And then Tanahashi smartly like was crossing his own wrists to block a second Kamigoe. And that gave him enough time to push Ibushi back and hit a sling blade that Kota, of course, took directly down on his neck. Anyone's, anyone thought Kota was going to chill out at all from the two months away? He did not. It's a very sick bump. And Kota kicked out of the resulting cover at one. He made that great uh, I'm hurt but also pissed face that he uh, he does sometimes, like directly at the camera. But then he ate a dragon suplex hold for a near fall. And then Tanahashi hit the high fly flow cross body, then hit the one to the front. And that was the pen. I like the finish a lot. He just kind of hit a big flurry and put Kota away, which you don't always see in New Japan. You know, sometimes they go back and forth a lot. And here it was just like, you know, whether the, I, I think part of the idea was supposed to be that Kota was still a little rusty after two months off and you can't just be, come back and beat a guy like Tanahashi. But, you know, I thought this was pretty awesome. I went four stars flat on it. They definitely had better matches, but I still thought, still thought this was quite a lot of fun. Yeah, they've, they've, they've had better. I mean, the, the g128 finals one of the best matches of all time so you can't keep up with that right but yeah i think the idea is that coda hadn't come back clearly coda was coda and tanahashi were both very emotional um both in the entrances and after the match so i you know would have to speculate that things were worse for coda abushi than anyone might have thought i guess yeah. i don't know i mean like i i don't know what that that illness really encompasses but or how bad it can be but that said something to me so yeah good to get him back into the ring probably with a safe opponent like tanahashi you know uh didn't need any build you don't need any build for those two guys to get in the ring and, and have a good match you know 17 minutes 1747 um 
two minutes longer than their last match than they, that they had uh, G129. So, um, you know, people complaining about that being short, which was the ironic thing that I, I ran into. Um, like, truthfully, literally found someone complaining or questioning it, at least. I was like, hey, I mean, like, this is not unprecedented between these two anyway, because that's the data that I have. Um, it was, it, honestly look at these guys and say they're getting ready for the G1. So they had a G1 length match um, yeah. and it was good. It was as good as, you know, these guys are two of the best in the world. Of course it was good. Um, could it have been better? Sure. Um, could they have had a build? Could it have meant more? Absolutely. But maybe it was more meaningful for them to get out there and do this in, in these circumstances. So, um, you know, and honestly the U S title, maybe it wasn't worth fighting longer for, I don't know where they're going to position that <laughs> title. So, you know, this wasn't the G one finals. So yeah, you go half the time. Um, but- Tanahashi, Tanahashi said his post-match, he wants to, you know, as the champion come back to America. So I think that's what people would expect him to do. Sure. But yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, I think the plan's probably for, this is probably the only defense before the G one, the G one will run you right up to whatever the, uh, the power struggle tour is. And then you've got Power Struggle and um, the whatever they're called, Battle in the Valley, um, the, yeah. San, the San Jose show. So he'll he'll probably make it to the San Jose show as the champ. Uh, match number four, the semi-main was Jeff Cobb defeating Kazuchika Okada in 27-41 with the Tour of the Islands. Uh, I thought this was really good. There were a couple of things I didn't love about it. There was... Uh, First of all, the I'm really over the money clip, and Okada went back to it again here against Cobb, you know, right around the uh, 20 minute mark, and you know the the setup to get Okada on the top rope toward the end of the match I thought was a little convoluted, and slowed the match down a bit too much for me. So that brought it down to like a three and three quarters when I had been thinking like four stars before that, but still a lot of fun. You know the the big headbutt that Cobb did at the very end, where you know he just kind of like hit this big rising headbutt uh, once Okada got to the top rope. Because like oh, the setup, right, for him to get the top rope was like, um, you know, they went for a lot of reversals towards the end. Like Cobb, like what, I thought they went a little too many reversals where it left Cobb a little bit winded uh, on the top rope by the time Okada put him there. And they didn't have much to do besides Cobb just like sitting up there sucking wind. And then Okada very slowly tried to do something from up there before Cobb finally escaped on the apron and super kicked him. And I just thought that whole thing like grounded the match to a halt when it had been picking up momentum before that. But the thing it set up was great. I mean, the, the avalanche style tour of the islands from the top rope looked awesome. And then Cobb did a, you know, second regular tour of the islands that almost seemed a little unnecessary, honestly. And that got the pin, but yeah, uh, three and three quarters, uh, a lot of fun. Other than that complaint, I guess, towards the end. And it was nice to see Cobb finally break through here with a huge win. And, you know, it obviously can set up a, uh, a you know, rubber match since they both have a win over each other recently. So, yeah, I love that Cobb won this. I think he that builds him towards the G1. I'm so curious what his G1 is going to look like. And I'm sure we'll touch on that at least a little bit. But um, he's kind of the guy on the on the G1 roster that I'm most curious. Like, is he going to go eight and one or is he going to go five and four? Or is he going to go four and five? Like where's this guy in the pecking order of singles heavyweight so him having a win over okada in recent history you got to figure that's going to play into something um and it means something maybe um but yeah this was a great match these guys put it put it together i liked it better than their last match that they had a uh what was that month and a half ago um i think this one played out just 
so much with which with more weight behind it um and i think maybe the build was better but um ultimately like the the in ring these 27 minutes were great just a really good well-worked match uh no no major complaints here uh between matches three and four we got the announcement of wrestle kingdom 16 uh first of all confirming the tokyo dome will be available there was a lot of speculation it wouldn't be due to renovations uh but it's three nights this time it's nights one and two in the tokyo dome january 4th and 5th plus a third night on Jan- on january 8th in the yokohama arena uh, as part of the 50th anniversary, since that was a building that New Japan once had a, a lot of history with. So, you know, makes sense for 50th anniversary kind of thing. I did see a lot of people dunking on this. Uh, I will say I'm very interested to see what that third night looks like. Will it be a real, like, everything's building for the third night, or will it be a bigger, rebranded New Year's Dash? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and I've asked around to see if I can get some information on whether they're still also having New Year's Dash. So, because that would then probably be on the sixth, which would then leave the seventh open, and then the eighth. And I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Nobody. Uh, nobody seems to know. Yeah, I, I can't get a firm answer, so I don't want to say more than that. Okay. Uh, match three. I'm not going to belabor this one. It, it's <laughs> Toriano beat Chase Owens uh, in an I Quit match for, to become the KOBW 2021 holder. It went 28-03. Um, I hated this. I mean, I saw some people argue it wasn't as bad as they were expecting a 28-minute match between these two to be. I just don't care about any of this. I don't need to see... I don't watch New Japan for I Quit matches. I don't watch New Japan to see people be handcuffed with things and whipped with belts and all that. I just really did not care. I mean, I went with I went with the dud on it. Uh, Chase, you know, lost because Yano threatening to stab him with with scissors. I mean, I don't know. Just don't ever need to see this in New Japan. It's just not my thing. I'm never I'm never going to be in this title. Never going to be in these matches. And the 28 minutes kind of felt like 28 hours. And uh, actually, no, I gave them, I gave them half a star. I'm sorry. Uh, they get half a star and they like it. That's as far as, as far as I'm willing to go. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about that. <laughs> you did not enjoy it either. Yeah, I, I same deal though. This is just I, whatever. If these guys want to go 28 minutes in like a normal match and put on the best match that either of them can put on, I think that would be way better than this like I'm going to set up a ladder or bridge and you know, I don't know. It's just not what I watch New Japan. Yeah, it's what I watch AEW for. Um, I guess maybe I I compartmentalize too much. Um, and I don't particularly mind either of these wrestlers as as you know singles guys um but this style the anything goes kind of thing is is not what i come here for and i don't think new japan's particularly good at it um i think there's been one match of that style that's been good and i think it was osprey and kojima earlier this year um in in recent history at least i'm sure i could go back and find a few more but that's the one that that was the perfect example of it that i was like oh that can be good here but um this was this wasn't that there was a Tenzan Izuka match I remember people liking way back in the day. That's quite old now. That's so, like 2008, yeah. maybe. Yeah, like or maybe even maybe a little after that, maybe like on nine or ten. Yeah, but yeah, pretty 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 a long time ago now. Uh, match number two: Show defeats Yo in 2441 by a referee stoppage. First of all, Show's evil gamer remix song was pretty great. 
like, <laughs> what I think, uh, I'll give Emily Pratt credit because she was the one who said this. She said it was like the meanest video of all time, the meanest interest video of all time. Because it's just like the it's just like show turning on yo, and then like the continue or end uh, from like a game, and it goes to end. And it's like, yes, he ends his relationship with Yo. It's like just a, the entire video is basically show saying fuck you to Yo. So it's like the meanest entrance video ever, too, to go with it. So that was really cool. Uh, I didn't like his new look as much, and it gave away what, what well, he was Well, yeah, doing. the new look was kind of, it was, it was a pretty obvious tell. Yeah, he was wearing some kind of like black and purple Renaissance cosplay, and it really gave away... Uh, the the fact that he was joining Bullet Club, which I was not happy about, I have to say. Uh, his evil face uh, is just as goofy looking as when he made the turn as well. But as a match, I thought this was good. I saw some people who really didn't like it. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know. I, I thought it was, I, I liked it quite a bit. I mean, there was some stuff that was boring. You could say maybe he went a little bit too long. And the one thing is like, you know, show, like to me, the, the heel show thing um with, especially with the unit he joins, obviously, with House of Torture and Bullet Club. You know, I, it feels like we're going to miss his, like, shoot-style grappling that really helped him stand out in New Japan because now he'll be doing, like, you know, more generic heel who cheats stuff and whipping people into barricades and stuff, which, I'm, you know, New Japan has plenty of people that do that. I don't, I don't really need more of that. But So that's a downer. But as far as, like, the actual match goes, you know, I thought this really picked up after the 15-minute call. Uh Show hit some nice, several German suplexes on Yo and went after his arm. Yo kept escaping and hit his own really big German that dropped Show on his head. Show no settled it and hit a great lariat. So great sequence there. Um, you know, they just kind of they kind of kept going though, and they kind of missed their peak, I thought. Uh, and you know, they went past the 20-minute mark. They got the ref bump. Show pushed Yo into the ref in the corner. He hit a spear on him. He went to the outside and grabbed a chair. Yo ducked the chair shot. Super kicked him and then picked up the chair, but couldn't bring him bring himself to use it on show. I did like that moment. I mean, show begging off and yo just being like, I can't quite bring myself to fucking brain my partner, even though he's being an asshole to me lately. So he just drops the chair and super kicks him again and then goes for the double arm DDT he's been doing lately. But show low blows him, breaks the chair right over his head, of course, and pulls him up by two on the cover, which I liked a lot as well. It's like a great dick move and then locked him in the triangle. And the referee stopped the match to give Show the win. Show would not let go of the hold. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, Yo was too nice, basically. It looked, didn't make him, didn't like bury him or anything. I thought he looked pretty good. I, I mean, the, the big thing for Yo in this match is Yo had shown like almost no fire since his return. You know, that he looked like a guy who just was going through the motions. He showed a lot of fire in this match. So this match was almost made me more feel better about Yo than did about Show. With especially with where show is going now. Like this match was like the most positive sign for Yo I've had since his return. He looked like a different wrestler than he looked uh, you know, since the Rapungi 3K reunion. I mean, he looked like he was fired up out there. He looked like he was having a good time getting to beat up show. And, you know, he did some really good selling as well. So if anything, I'm more optimistic about Yo going forward uh, as a single junior babyface. But uh, you know, it, I thought this was a good match. I went three and a half. I don't regret watching it at all, but it's definitely going to give more ammo to the uh, New Japan matches or too long crowd because I did think it went a little long. Uh, yeah, I mean, show. I think they established both characters really well by the yeah. by having this match, which like I thought Yo was just buried 
uh, coming out of the junior tag league and the, the, the turn from show. And then honestly, like if you just look at the result from this match, you're like, wow, they really are just shoveling dirt on, on yo, because you know, you almost figure maybe he was going to win this and, and, and that was going to be the redemption after taking all the falls and, and all that. But, um, I think you're right. Like he looked good. You know, if you watch the match, he looks like he had a lot to, to go with. I am curious if, like, Yo sticks with Chaos or if he lands somewhere else. Um, and is this a long-term generational feud with Yo and Sho now after their their big long-term kind of generational tag team? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think Sho looked like a badass, evil, you know, like evil, no pun intended. He looked, he looked like he belongs with house of torture is that right I, yeah she got the calls them house of pancakes house of pancakes as he called her in an interview afterwards he said he was like ah, oh, i can't remember their name house of pancakes like, oh, house of torture. Oh, okay. shingo loves shingo breakfast is, shingo is so great he's a gift <laughs> um, but yeah so i think that yeah maybe it went a little long but maybe that's that was just part like maybe it could have ended earlier and show just wanted to keep going. We, you know, we saw that. So that was part of it too. So good match. Good story. Curious where it goes next. Glad these guys broke up and I don't have to watch them as a tag, a boring junior tag team anymore. Indeed. Uh, Afterwards show cut a short promo. He basically told yo to retire again. Uh, He literally kicked him out of the ring slowly, which I thought was a good heel move. And then evil Dick Togo and Yujo Takahashi came out with their new house of torture, uh, shirts with have the little bullet club logo on the sleeve so it's a new bullet club subunit uh look is this good no it is not i don't i'm not happy i'm not excited for this at all i really thought he was going to go for united empire before he came out in the black and purple gear because you know that that just felt like a unit that first of all has two people in japan right now i mean okan and Cobb. uh they have no juniors at all in japan or america or new zealand i guess where hanare is and so they could have used the junior. And I really like the idea of like great Okan and show as these two, like the two biggest shooters in, in new Japan, you know, like as a little heel shooter tag heavyweight and junior tag team. I really, I really like that idea. So, you know, that's what I thought we were going to get. Instead we're getting show in the fucking house of torture and another bullet club, bullet club civil war apparently on the way, which is like just horrible. I mean, I'm not, I cannot bury that idea enough. I just, I, I could not care less about the idea of, uh, Evil's House of Torture versus Jay White's Bullet Club. It's just like nothing I want to see. So, well, they might end up baby facing the regular Bullet Club at least a little bit, which they already are in America. So, yeah, you know, I, I guess that's fine. I just want the entire thing to go away forever. Maybe if they the evil group breaks off and can just be their own terrible well, that's, unit. That's kind of what I was wondering. It's like, yeah. is this can this actually just split? Yeah, like not a civil war that ends up not ending. Can we actually just like can they be their own little like super heel unit, like the most healy of heels? Yeah, the people who suck. <laughs> also that I mean they needed. <laughs> well, show's good. Yeah, show's good. <laughs> show's uh, show's good, but the Bullet Club always yeah. has good juniors. Yeah, that's true. Match number one was a tag team match. Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask, the Flying Tiger tag team, defeating Hiromu Takahashi and Bushi. Eagles submitting Bushi in 11.40 with the Ron Miller special. I thought this was setting up Hiromu winning on the next night. It was not. It was setting up a junior tag title shot for Flying Tiger instead. But yeah, I thought this was not a lot to say here. Pretty fun. Uh, you know, I thought in like three and a quarter. 
nothing you got to go anywhere to see or anything, but enjoyable enough if you do watch it. Yeah, I love Robbie Eagles and Hiromu. So anytime those guys are in the same ring, um, I'm oh, for it. Too, which we're about to get. Yeah, to. right. Well, uh, the Stardom opener. They were first of all, it was great that these matches were somehow allowed to air on New Japan World. Finally, I mean that was just just really really cool. Um, so Saya Kamatani and Momo Watanabe defeated Lady C and Micah. Uh, Kamatani defeated Lady C in 12:02 with the Phoenix Splash. This was a lot of fun. Um, I thought a good showing from the Stardom girls. Uh, Micah especially got to show off her power. She did like a double suplex. Uh, Momo got to show off just her brand of stiff wrestling. Really kicked the shit out of uh, Micah and Lady C. And then Kamatani, she really, uh, you know, kind of got to show off her agility, you know, with like her multiple handstands to escape Lady C at one point before hitting a drop kick. Lady, Lady C got to show off the fact that she is in fact... Very tall for a Japanese woman, I guess. I mean, you know, she's less than a year into this, and she didn't look bad or anything. But uh, compared to the other three, I mean, the other three all look great, and she was just kind of there. They call her the Human Tower. I mean, I get it because she's much tall. She's five ten, and the average Japanese woman, I guess, is five three. But like, I am six foot one, and I do not feel like a human tower. I have to say. So I don't know how somebody three inches shorter than me is a human tower. Maybe it's just maybe it's just me nitpicking her name, but every time I hear the Human Tower, Lady C, I'm just like, let's pump the brakes. He's not seven feet tall, but anyway, uh, there's a nice spot towards the end with uh, Saya Kamatani reversing an attempted choke slam off the top from Lady C into a Hurricanrana, but they both time that very well, and then Momo and Momo and uh, Saya hit a double T a double team diving knee attack off the second rope setup was a little goofy, but then they absolutely crush her. Uh, it doesn't look so goofy at that point. And then Kamatani hits the Phoenix flash for the pen again, quite a bit of fun. Uh, lady C, you know, she definitely doesn't look as green as she used to, even though she doesn't really stand out either other than her height, but we'll see what she can add to her repertoire later. But yeah, I went three and a half. I, I thought this was good. I enjoyed this very much. I was glad this was on the show. I hope they do a ton more of this. I thought Kamatani was awesome. That was kind of my my big takeaway. I'd never seen her. Um, I love a good. She's also quite also quite tall for Japanese. Women, yeah, like, I I actually had the thought that there were a couple of tall tall women <laughs> that are typically short. I mean, like Joshi wrestlers are usually shorter in my experience. Stardom, I think, is filled with taller ladies. Sure. You have, I mean, Micah is like I think five five, which is you know still taller than the average. And then, like, you have these two, 5'8 and 5'10. I think, what's her name? Uh, Jumbo. Uh, God, I can't remember her name. She's in Donna Del, Mon- Donna Del Mundo. She wasn't on these two shows. But she's, like, she's like 5'8, I think. and Or 5'7 or 5'8. And they have a couple other ones. Like, I think Julia is 5'5 five, five or 5'6. Five, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of tall. There's a bunch of other ones. It's tall, a lot of tall ladies in this company. Yeah, so I I think the English commentators did as good a job as they possibly could. Um, I know they were having some tech issues during the that the first match, um, but yeah, I think and I I know for a fact they really enjoyed being on the call for it and being able to broadcast these live. So um, hopefully we see more of that in the future. Himika is the one I was thinking of. She's jumbo. She's only she's five seven. So there you go. Yeah, that's the one I was. Uh, Hima, the former Himika Arita. Anyway, so there are probably multiple people listening to screaming at their phones. So 
wanted to make sure I pointed out who it was. Uh, night two, so night one, I thought was a a good show. I mean, there really wasn't. There was one match that was bad. Everything else here was good. I, I don't really know where people are getting bad show from this, unless they really only watched Chase Owens and Toriano. But uh, I thought it was a good show. The atmosphere is challenging. I mean, I have to yeah, say, yeah, like, yeah. I don't love that they're trying to run these dome shows with 2000 people in them. Like they're basically running like a field, right? Like they're not putting anyone in the grandstands or any of the, the sloped seating or very, very few in the actual seating. They're basically just running the field of these domes. And I, so like I have some sympathy for that and, and I have some understanding for the, you know, the challenge plus these particular dome shows, these three wrestle grand slam shows, they're not doing like stage lighting like they did at wrestle kingdom they yeah. like which looked good and you you'd never would have known that there was only whatever six or seven thousand people there i guess you you would know that it's not forty thousand people but the atmosphere wasn't this at these these dome shows they're just using the stadium lights and they're so you see all these empty seats yeah um, the atmosphere is not great the atmosphere sure. so the atmosphere is not great like i i'm not but also like the wrestling was <laughs> the wrestling was great um yeah. for a lot of these matches so um or at least as expected. So I, you know, if it, I get the the I get it, but also the matches are still good, the stories are still yeah. good, the wrestlers are still good. And where we're going is still the G one, and that's gonna be good. So um, that's that's my take on that. I guess while we're in between shows uh, here, night two main evented by the IWGP World Heavyweight Title, Shingo Takagi defeating Evil in thirty twenty with the last of the dragon. My, I guess my hot take coming into this was going to be, I don't think it was as bad as people seem to be saying on Twitter. I mean, I didn't think this was good or anything. I didn't think it was good or great at all. Um, you know, I, I don't love the, the evil dynamic and everything like everybody else. I think what I will say, and cause this is a point I definitely want to remember to make on average, new Japan does less interference than AEW. I mean, they just do. They, they really contain it now to only, uh, a few matches across, you know, even sometimes only one match on a card, uh, you know, versus what they were doing earlier in the year. I mean, they've really cut back on the amount of interference. If you're looking for clean fight wrestling, like clean matches, clean finishes, no interference, you could get it on like three out of five matches on this show. And even the other one that had interference, uh, the junior tag title match, or had cheating, the junior tag title match didn't have any interference. So if you're just looking for no interference, you can get it and the vast majority of matches on this show and the show from the prior night, which I think had it in... Did anybody interfere in Chase versus John? I don't think they did. I think there was no interference at all. No, I don't think anyone one. got involved in that. So, so you're talking about nine out of ten matches on these two shows had no interference at all. So I do think people really make too big a deal out of the interference in New Japan at this point. Yes, Evil still does it because that's his whole thing. But it really does not happen very often in New Japan matches at this point. Especially compared to the promotion that's everybody's fucking, uh, you know, uh, everybody's favorite promotion right now. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be, again, for the 10,000th time. But it is weird to me how much people are willing to overlook the amount of interference. And even, like, they even do, like, stupid distraction finishes on Dynamite sometimes. That's what really drives me crazy. I'm not a type who really cares that much about interference. I mean, it, it can piss me off, depending on how it's done. But I'm not like I don't automatically think it sucks every time. But the distraction finishes, which AEW really does way too often, uh, those are the ones where if I was running a wrestling promotion, they would be completely banned. I mean, distraction finishes 
always look stupid. They always make a wrestler look like an idiot uh, for just like paying more attention to some random person who's on the outside than they are their opponent in the match. So, I mean, I would get rid of those completely. But yeah, you're talking 9 out of 10 matches here with no interference, which is one of these things where I think people make way too big of a deal out of the amount of interference in New Japan at this point. It's pretty much contained to one unit. And even with that unit, it's not even, it's really contained to evil at this point. It's at this point so, now the subunit, probably. Yeah, the subunit. So it's like, I don't know. I think people are, I've made way too big a deal out of it, but uh, it did suck here. I mean, it was all the normal stuff, you know, uh, I just, I don't even really feel like recapping this match. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to know? recap. This was the almost good version of a of of an evil match because yeah. you had Shingo Takagi also involved. Like that's to, that's the that's the best way I can describe it. The funniest spot to me was when Togo used the spoilers choker on Shingo, um, and Yujiro then ran in and hit the pimp juice. After well, he first came with the cane, and then he hit the pimp juice DDT, and evil covered off of that. Uh, and it was like okay. Shingo Takagi, if he is in fact going to lose the IWGP Waterboy title here, I don't think it will be to Yujiro Takahashi's finisher. It's just a, <laughs> just a hunch. So I thought that was a pretty stupid near fall. But I'm like, yeah, uh, you can hit him with whatever the fuck you want to hit him with first. He is not losing to Yujiro's finisher. So. But I will be honest, when I was watching this match, there were a couple of moments where I was like, oh shit, they're really going to do this. They're really I, I was unspoiled, so I thought so too. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, and I was live. So I was like, damn, they're really, like, you know, Yujiro hits him with the cane and then the thing. And I was like, damn, they're really going to run this back again, aren't they? Yeah, but apparently Togo wanted to. I mean, that's the rumor. Yeah, of course yeah. he wanted to. He wants to be in the main <laughs> event scene. He, he's tired yeah. of watching his boy lose. Uh, but yeah, Shingo. So Togo came back with the choker, but then Shingo's uh, fellow COVID sufferer in Lij Bushi ran out to make the save. I thought I thought it was funny that Bushi was the first one to run out. It's like we went through this disease together. I got your back. Uh, he cleaned house and everybody in the ring, and. Show then took him out though with a deadlift German, and then broke a chair over uh, Shingo's head, just like he did to Yo the night before. But when he went for Shock Arrow, Naito and Sonata finally showed up, showed up uh, to take him out, and then Togo went to use the belt on Naito. Naito stopped and took him out, and he got low blowed from behind by his old pal Evil. Which I like that spot. It was like, uh, remember this Naito? Remember when I used to hit you in the balls regularly? Here you go, uh, <laughs> Shingo. Puts the ball away pretty quickly after that, you know, puts some puts a, a big combination together to put him down. I went two and three quarters. I mean, that might be generous, but I thought the parts was for fun. It was cool seeing Shingo overcome the heels with help from L.I.J. I mean, I thought part of this worked. I mean, the mark part of my brain enjoyed watching Shingo overcome all the all the odds here. Uh, TM John Cena. But it just took forever to get there. Featured too many goofy ref bumps. Uh, they really should at least try to keep it to one ref bump per match. I do agree with that criticism instead of doing them repeatedly in the same match. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. It was an evil main event. It was not the, it was certainly not the worst evil main event I've ever seen. I think, uh, I thought the one with Okada earlier this year was worse than us for sure. Terrible. But, yeah. This was, this was all right. The highest, the highest praise I can give it. Yeah. I got nothing. There's been better, there's been better evil main events too, though. Some of the night ones are better than this. So, but, what are you going to do? Yeah, when, when he had four shots with someone, they figured out the right uh, the right <laughs> amount of things to do. The the power struggle one was perfect. I mean, that was that's probably as as good as an evil 
this uh, version of Evil Main Event is going to get me. That that match was just flat out awesome. Uh, it's a match that nobody saw because everybody was so tired. Pretty down on that, fan, yeah. Uh, on seeing, but I maintain that if you actually go and watch that match with an open mind, it is the best one they ever did. So not just for Evil and Naito, but just the best, you know, this version of Evil match they ever did. So uh, the semi-main event, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title, Robbie Eagles defeating Hiromu Takahashi in 2407 with the Ron Miller special to retain the junior title, make his first defense. Uh, this was match of the weekend, I thought, across all oh, three shows. Absolutely. Including, including All Out. I mean, this was just so good. They went, you know, back and forth really quickly right from the start. Uh, Robbie, like, hit this sudden knee drop to Hiromu's leg that sent him out to the floor. Um, Hiromu you know, hit this big time bomb and the, the, the hits the time bomb and hits a huge lariat, which Eagles takes this great flying bump, flying bump for. Uh, he then set Eagles up in an inverted DDT position and hit some kind of crazy new head drop move, like basically flipped Eagles up and over before dropping him directly on the top of his head. Just sick as hell. Uh, he set up for the time bomb two after that. Eagle sort of kicked his legs and managed to force Hiromu to carry him to the corner. I thought that was a very clever counter. Uh, Hiromu just went for that flipping uh, top rope bomb he does, but Eagles like hooked his legs around the ring post to block, then leapt down the ring himself and hit this uh, nice step-up kick, and then another drop kick to Hiromu's leg he had been working on earlier that was hanging in the corner. Uh, He went back up there, hit an avalanche-style turbo backpack, which also looked great. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, and Hiromu kicked out, and then Eagles hit a couple super kicks to him, hit the 450 splash to the leg, he locked in the Ron Miller special. Hiromu's selling here was so fucking good. I mean, Hiromu Takahashi is, you know, in my mind, before the injury, he was the best wrestler in the world. I think he came back between the Doki match, which was even better than this match. If you didn't, I haven't reviewed that on audio for anything. If you did not watch that, that match he returned with against Doki, uh, at Cork and Hall, a couple, I think a week or two ago now, that is an absolute must-watch. If you're skipping, I don't care if you're skipping every other Road Two match. That match was four and a half stars. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, I put it like ninth place in my top ten match of the year list. I mean, just a really, really incredible match. Cannot recommend that one enough. But you know, he's just Hiromu here in this Ron Miller special. He's selling. He's thrashing. He's acting like he's on tap at any moment. He almost makes the ropes again. Eagles like pulls him back one, you know, uh, more than once actually. Hit like then he like kicks him and drops a knee on the leg and reapplies it. And Hiromu's just going crazy. And finally he has no choice but to tap out. And Robbie Eagles retains the title. Uh, a huge win for him, obviously. And Hiromu just sold the leg all the way after at the at the end of the match, too. Uh I went four and a quarter. I thought, you know, Hiromu, the only thing real complaint I have with this match is I thought Hiromu's leg selling was a little bit too off and on at points earlier in the match. Uh, you know, like there was a little bit too much running he did at one point after Eagles had worked over the leg, but his selling in that final, that final Ron Miller special almost made up for it because it was so good. Uh, I like the story too, that he just couldn't get the job done here and wasn't able to take the belt back on his first try, which sets up a longer chase for him. That's probably more interesting. So this is just so good. I love this. Um, Robbie Eagles might be my favorite junior in New Japan or available to New Japan. So whenever he's around, I thought he had a great best of super juniors last year. I loved the run he had with 
Osprey and Birds of Prey and all that. And, you know, the, the more we can get of him in the New Japan Junior Division, I think the more interesting the division is. Um, and Hiromu, too. Obviously, he's the he's the leader of the division will always be and i think it's less boring when hiromu doesn't just win on his first pass through to try to get the belt back right so i think this was the right decision for from a booking perspective also like maybe even if eagles needs to go back to australia or you know whatever he needs to do right now we're headed into g1 season right so we don't need the junior champ right now so he can be gone for a little while until he maybe comes back for you know what'll be in theory the best of the super juniors tournament which will set up wrestle kingdom and 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 you know whatever's going to go on there so they had the best match they could have given the circumstances i think you know hiromu looks great Robbie Eagles is, like I said, one of my favorite wrestlers on the planet right now. So this, I enjoyed the hell out of this. Uh, you know, my hot take is this will probably land on my, at least my New Japan top 10 for the year. Um, oh, wow. It, I loved, really, really, really liked this match. Yeah. Yeah, just below that level for me, but still a really awesome match. Yeah, and I so like uh, I, I know you know, like I don't do star ratings. So like I go on like what I think I'm going to remember, right? And I think I'm going to remember this match because I didn't expect Eagles to win. Uh, Desperado came out afterwards to challenge Eagles to a rematch for the junior title. Uh, so I could see him winning the belt back before Best of Super Junior, yeah, which would set Hiromu winning the tournament and then giving us the Hiromu Desperado title match at Russell Kingdom. Everybody's expecting what could they? they uh, I guess they could do that power struggle, yeah, right, and then go and right. Then, power struggle probably goes right into probably that combined tour again, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Desperado offers to put the IWGP Junior Tag Titles in the line as well. So uh, uh, Eagles and Tiger Mask will be challenging for them. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, between matches three and four, we got the G1 Climax blocks. Uh, we really don't have a lot of time to talk about them because we, we're getting close to three hours here and we still got to have questions too. So, uh, But I'm going to quickly read through the blocks and we can give our quick thoughts. A and B, a and B here. Uh, a was Kota Ibushi, Tetsuya Naito. Shingo Takagi, ZSJ, Toriano, Ishii, Yujiro, Kenta, Tangaloa in his first ever G1, and Great Okan also in his first ever G1. Uh, B Block, Okada, Tanahashi, Sanada, Taichi, Yoshihashi, Hiroki Goto, uh, Jeff Cobb, Evil, Tamatanga, and his first G1, Chase Owens. I mean, I don't know what people expected. If people are disappointed in these blocks, you haven't been paying attention to how things work right now in Japan. And the, they can't bring over people, and some of the people they can bring over don't want to come. So it's just that's all it comes down to. Uh, I'm I, my hot take is I am mildly excited to see what Tongaloa can do here. I think at times he's looked very improved in the tag team, so I think he can surprise people. I'm very excited to see what Great Okan can do. I mean, he hasn't had a lot of singles matches in a while, and you know I think most people would probably agree with me with the, that. Uh, a is the more exciting block. I don't. I've seen some people think that say that A is like way way better than B. I don't even know if I agree with that. I mean, there's more of my favorites are in A, but like B still has like you know Okada, Tanahashi, Sonata, Taichi. You know, Yoshihashi had a good little G1 last year. Cobb's been good. Hiroki Goto's good. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of good wrestlers. I mean, yeah, Evil isn't great, and Tawatanga and Chase Owens aren't great, but I mean, there's still plenty of good wrestlers in B block. So. Yeah, my Taiji was Taiji was the MVP of G1 last year. <laughs> anyway, remember that debate? I... Taiji can do it again. 
<laughs> my take is that it's exactly what I expected. Um, yeah. The blocks are, I, I think, kind of as you alluded to, just more balanced than I think I thought the blocks were last year. And I do think, I think guys like Tangaloa, Chase Owens, Great Khan, I think anyone in their first G1 is going to, booking aside, right? I don't know how these guys are going to get booked, right? But I think that they understand the weight of that responsibility. Tom and Tom might bust his ass too, finally getting back. Sure. Why not? I hope they all do. You know, but maybe they won't all. But, you know, I know for a fact that a guy like Chase Owens, you know, think of him what you will and his role with New Japan. But like, I know this is something he's this was a goal of his and he I think will take it pretty seriously. How that plays out, you know, who knows? Right. Like, I I don't I can't speak too highly of his in-ring work, but like I know that he gets it. And, And, you know, I think that that matters something. Uh, Naito and Yujiro, by the way, uh, they're, they're going to have their first singles oh. match in like seven years. Yeah, that's a and fun sing- wrinkle. Yeah, their last singles match was the 2014 G1. So, I mean, that's kind of cool. I mean, like people, this is like ancient history probably because, you know, Yujiro has been at such a lower level than Naito for so long in, in New Japan now. But like... Yujiro has an 18 and 3 record against him. Uh, and it's still 5 and 3 if you throw out all their young lion matches where Yujiro, you know, just was a more experienced young lion. So, of course, he won all those matches. But, you know, Yujiro beat Naito in their last meeting in the 2014 G1. Naito has not beaten him since 2013. So, those are interesting little notes. I mean, these, the, the, uh, they used to be a tag team, obviously, Team No Limit. I think most people know that, but maybe maybe some people don't anymore. Yeah, it's been, so it's long. been a long time. <laughs> so I am excited. I am maybe more excited for that than anything else in G One. I hope they do I mean, something that is, with that. Yeah, you know, that just is really give cool. him a good match at least. I mean, you know, Naito will say will say shit about it. So right, I mean, he's not he's not gonna forget about that. Another little note, and I should note too. Um, I'm gonna have a full preview of the G One next week on the Patreon during the middle of the week. So that I'm gonna record probably sometime this weekend before. I go on vacation, then I'll go up for people. Along. That'll be like the content. How um, kind of New Japan to give us the lineups <laughs> at least? At, yeah. Like, because last year, what, we had like a three day turnaround on like yeah. the lineup to the tournament starting. So, God, bless, bless them this year. What a bunch, uh, of, what a group of nice people. <laughs> so, that'll be, that'll be going up on the Patreon next week, uh, patreon.com slash wrestling on So, I'll go into detail all my picks all my most excited matchups, all that stuff. I'm hoping the schedule will be out by that. By the time I have to record. Schedule should be soon. Okay. So hopefully I'll be, I'm going to wait as long as I can basically for that. Uh, the other little note from the G1 jam project is doing the theme song, which is kind of cool. I mean, they're, they're basically like an anti song super group, so They've done a million anime theme songs between them. And besides that, in a wrestling note, they also did uh dragon storm, the original dragon gate theme song. So, Kind of little wrestling tie in there. Uh, match number three, IWGP heavyweight tag title three-way. Uh, the Dangerous Techers defeat Naito and Sonata and Goto and Yoshihashi. Taichi pins Yoshihashi in at 26-43 with the Black Mephisto. This was a lot of fun. This was just all action. I mean, they just went, went a mile a minute here. Everybody's beating up everybody. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that was kind of screwed up was Naito and Taichi. Uh, two of my favorites, of course. They did kind of screw up a neck breaker somehow during one of the big runs, but what can you do? It happens. Uh, 
but yeah, there was some great stuff here. I mean, Sanai and Yoshihashi had a really fun exchange with some really close flash cradle near falls. Uh, and they went, you know, Sonata kept going for Skull End as well. And, you know, they, he broke it himself to go for the Moonsault, but then Taichi tagged himself in while Sonata was climbing. So the cover didn't actually count when he hit the Moonsault because he was no longer the legal man. It was like, you know, only two guys were legal uh, at a time, not like a guy from each team was legal. And, you know, they, they, they just like did not, even though the, they're only two quote unquote legal men at a time, they were just, everybody was doing moves on each other. It was an awesome spot fest, I thought. And Zach managed to keep Naito occupied at the end while Taichi hit the Black and Fisto on Yoshihashi with the pen. Um, you know, some of the three-way tropes and stuff like that limit it, but I thought the uh, the Taichi blind tag spot was really clever, and I went, like, four stars on this. I, I, I had quite a blast with it, uh, but I also just like everyone in this match a lot, so I could see people being lower on it than me, but, you know, these are six guys I like quite a bit, so I had a good, I had a good time. Yeah, I thought this was fun, I couldn't get really into it because I wasn't really sure why this was a three-way tag match. Um, you know, like I, I need reasoning, I guess. And like, it was just kind of like, well, we're here. And we, you know, <laughs> so like, well, especially with like Goto and Yoshihashi, like I, and you, you didn't, I know they didn't want to run back, you know, the LIJ Suzuki Goon thing again. So they just added the third team. So I was kind of like, obviously this was going to be a fun match and a good match and a a good fun match to watch because i think um you know similar to you i think i like the the zach saber jr the dangerous techers team more than some and i don't mind the when the matches devolve into kind of a tornado tag but um yeah, overall, I will say it makes. No, I said that made this point before. It makes no sense to me when people, when like young buck fans complain about that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, not pretty much. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I enjoyed the match, but I the the booking didn't make any sense to me, and I have no idea where tag team titles go from here. But I guess they don't need to figure that. Out. They'll probably set something up through the G one. Yeah. Uh, the the post match I thought was very funny because Yoshi would like end up on the floor. Taichi like went over the ropes and then started sarcastically clapping for him, which was like so mean. But it was really because he had com- told Yoshihashi like throughout this build that he had no chance and he ended up pinning him. So he really he he proved himself right, I guess. Yeah, it's just a very funny moment. And then Naito walks by and just stomps on Yoshihashi in anger for getting pinned and ending <laughs> the match. And then Gojo immediately attacks him. Over that, which that all very funny stuff. And these are six guys I could watch interact with each other forever. So uh, I really enjoyed the post match. Uh, match number two for the IWGP Junior Tag Titles: Desperado and Kanemaru defeat Ishiboy and Phantasmo to become the 67 champions. Uh, 2028. Desperado once again pins Phantasmo with the pinche logo. What feels like the thousandth time on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I didn't love this. I didn't think it was bad or anything. Uh, I went three stars. I thought it was fine. Just, you know, I mean, I don't really care about the loaded boot and whiskey bottle and all that stuff. It just felt like it took a long time to get to where they were going. And what they were going was not that exciting. I definitely don't care about all the, the loaded boots, boot saga. Uh, so, you know, just this was fine. Three stars. I just don't really get the title change when the Bullet Club team's coming over to America. And they could have done some cool defenses. Yeah. I don't know. I was surprised by it at least, but also, you know, I don't know. 
the, those titles just bounce between now two teams because <laughs> uh, yeah, they had their they had their match they wanted to do with Desperado, I guess, against yeah Eagles to set up. Titles, I'm so. sure to set up yeah. more. Yeah, I don't know, more with them. So uh, the opener on the main card was Okada and Cobb, or Okada and Ishii. I'm sorry, losing to Cobb and Gray Okan. Okan pinning Ishii in 12:45 of the Eliminator. So big win for Okan here. I thought this was quite a bit of fun. You know, nothing like super special or anything, but uh, for a basic tag opener, I thought it was fun. You know, Okada got a chance to really run wild with drop kicks on both guys. Uh, And then Ishii and Okan, I thought, had a pretty fun exchange before Okan put him away with the pin, which is a big win for him. So I went three and a quarter here. I thought both teams looked good, and I hope Okan really gets a chance to shine in the G1. And I hope that Okan and Cobb are the next big tag team. Uh, if, yeah, that'd be cool. If they're not going to both get super involved in, in single stuff, um, if they, man, they could run, they could just run over World Tag League and just win the win the belts. They've been so good this year, um, statistically and and in the ring for that matter. But that's a fun, that's a fun duo. And they're dominating. I mean, like, it's incredible. So um, would be really fun to see them get a run with it. Uh, the pre-show match from Stardom again. This was even better than the first night one. This was uh, Julia and Sayuri defeating Watanabe and Kamitani. Uh, Sayuri pinning Kamitani in 11:31 with the Biako. Um, I thought this match was great. I mean, Sayuri looked like a badass. She was like nearly breaking Momo's arm with the Kimura and then just kicking the shit out of Saya Kamitani at one point. Uh, and then Saya came back with a very nice reverse Rana, only to run into like a counter high kick for a very close near fall. I mean, you could tell these four girls were, like, really going out there just to, like, put on a great match, and I think they succeeded. Uh, Siri put Saya in the stretch muffler. That's that, the Biako, and she had no chance, choice but the tap. Uh, I went. I almost considered going four stars flat on this. It was just all action. Uh, I decided to go three and three quarters, and, you know, you could tell, like I said, they all wanted to make an impression, and they definitely succeeded, so very good for them there. Yeah, I love the pace of these matches. Um I, I truly do hope they do more of these. So it's really, really a cool feature of some of these bigger New Japan shows. All right. So we got two seconds to get through these questions. So let me say, uh, at Armanta1 on Twitter. Okay. So I asked for New Japan AEW questions. He asked two DET questions. So I'll try to go through them very quickly. But uh, so Damnation broke up. That's a very big story in DET. That's basically, you know, uh, their top heel unit. And he and the Armanta just says, what do you think the fallout will be of their disbandment? Face turn for Endo. Sasaki immediately creating the not damnation faction and feuding with Takagi. Also, who out of damnation would make the best fourth member for Eruption? Well, if if Sasaki did that, you know what that would remind they they could do that as a callback for uh I don't this this probably is uh I'm not trying to say it's to be to sound like a an elitist, but this is probably a little before your time for New Japan. But when so when Ricky Choshu took over New Japan, uh I think at the mid to late 2000s at this point, when he came back as Booker for one of his many booking runs, the first thing he did was he broke up Black New Japan, which was Masahiro Chono's very dominant heel stable at the time. And Chono decided he was so bad at Choshu, he was going to create the anti-Choshu army. And he basically just took all the members of Black New Japan and made them uh, the anti-Choshu army. So yes, you could just have... Uh, Sasaki should just immediately create the anti Shinshiro Takagi army to protest the tournament they they were put in by Shinshiro Takagi. That would be pretty funny. But uh, I so I really have no idea where this is going. Honestly, I, I don't know what they're doing here. I assume 
they will be some kind of new heel stable and Sasaki will probably lead it, but maybe they just want to, you know, mix up the members and have Endo go babyface again, like uh, Armatha said. So that, that would not surprise me. Uh, Armatha, Arma, Ar, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I'm sorry. It says who out of damnation would make the best fourth member for eruption. Uh, hmm. Good question. I think someone to cow would work very, uh, very, uh, you know, stoic. So I think he would fit in well with the stable. Okay, the rest of these are all New Japan or AWs. Let's see. Uh, Guy Yeager says, if you could have your nuts redeemed by any member of the AW or New Japan roster, who would it be? Now, is is a nuts redeeming not getting a low blow? Why would I want anyone to give me a low blow? Do you want anyone to give you a low blow, Chris? No. I don't that want anyone either. Bad. <laughs> it sounds bad. It's been a long so time say... since I've gotten a low blow. <laughs> Uh, me too. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say NA, not applicable. Uh, at uh, UNWCX, if you could ask Tony Khan a media call question that had some bite, what would it be? This is a very interesting question. What do you think, Chris? Anything? You don't have to worry about being banned. You're never going to come back for a media call again. If I assume he's, that's what I assume he's implying here. Right. I see. I don't know because he's he. To, to his credit, Tony Khan is pretty candid. Um, and he's also just very good at answering those media call questions. Although, don't, if you call the ATT channel and make our bell, he's going to be very upset. That's so don't do that. I, yeah. I know the guy who did that. Like, he went to, we used to work together at GameStop. I felt so bad when I heard about that. I mean, Joe's a nice, a very good guy. And I'm just like, oh boy, Joe Guerra, uh, uh, that's his name. And it was not Joe, not Joe Lanza. But yeah, I felt bad for him. Yeah, I, so to be perfectly honest, like he's so good at those pressers that like I don't know that that's or the media calls or whatever whatever they are. Um, I don't know that there's a, a question that you could ask that would get a good answer um, that he won't answer. You know what I mean? Or like something with I don't know that he he doesn't. That's not the purpose of those. Those those are public relations calls. Those aren't you know those aren't you know expose type calls so i guess putting myself in that situation you you have to know the audience and and kind of know what you're working with so like i wouldn't ask anything you know about that but obviously the, the thing that's most front of mind for him for me is how how do you see the new japan relationship progressing and what can it mean for his business because that's what matters to him he he he's altruistic in a way in the sense that he wants pro wrestling to be um, greater than it is right now. But ultimately what that dude's going to care about is his business. So how does he see the big relationship with new Japan growing and benefiting both sides, but specifically how can that relationship in Japan um, benefit him? And what, where does he see that going? That though, that would be the question that I would love to hear his answer on. And maybe he would give some sort of answer, but I would love to hear like the real deal answer of what he sees post pandemic open travel situation. Um, and, and what that looks like for him ideally. I mean, honestly, I, I would love to know, and this is obviously not, it would be a very awkward topic and I, I don't know if he would love to answer it, but I, you know, they, they have said they did internal investigations into the, Darby Allen allegations and uh, I believe the allegations against Justin Roberts and I guess cleared them. I would just love to know what like the process was, what, you know, how they cleared them, like what, you know, what, like who reviewed it, like pretty much there's no transparency with that at all. And I think that would go a long way towards, you know, not having the situation we're in now, where it's just kind of like a cloud 
that hangs over Darby, especially on social media. So, you know, I would like to know like what, you know, what, I mean, when I say, I'm not, I'm not trying to say it shouldn't, you know, like, that those are serious allegations. So, you know, I would like to hear like what, what the company actually went through when, you know, to supposedly clear him. Uh, Cause it just kind of vaguely, we've just vaguely heard that he cleared that they he cleared Darby without really any explanation other than that. So uh, the last two questions we have here were from the, both from discord uh, dominator dance enthusiast. Great name. Uh, says, hi, John. Now that AEW has its cornerstone in Adam Cole, what other guys do you think will round out their new minis division? <laughs> hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of good minis out there. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have an, I don't, I didn't think about this one. I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. I don't know. Marco. Uh, Marco. There, there you go. I mean, I mean he's, he's already on the roster. Marco. Maybe he can wrestle. Yeah. Uh, and then Rika Tatsumi says, Based on the G1 blocks, what, what main event do you think they will put for Power Struggle? That's a great question because oh. like you have to pick, you have to predict the G, the main event, and, like who's going to win the G1 and all that. Uh, well, you have to, I yeah, you, you ultimately have to predict, predict, yeah, who's going to win the G1 because that's not the main event, and then who else is going to beat Shingo? So Shingo, you know, Naito's in his block. It could be Naito. Naito could beat him and then get the title shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be Ibushi. Ibushi's in his block, and they never, they still never did the match. Uh, the dark horse would be Kenta. I mean, he's definitely, you know, uh, he's a heel and he's definitely can be presented at that level. So I think those are the three most likely challengers for Shingo at Power Struggle. I think it's, uh, I would go Ibushi one. I think they still need to get back to that match. Naito two, Kenta three. I think those are my three. Yeah, I would just, I'd say Ibushi because I think they save another match with Naito for something bigger. Yeah, it could be a Wrestle Kingdom match. Yeah, with these three could, nights. could yeah. certainly be one of three Wrestle Kingdoms. <laughs> All right, so we went over three hours. Not even just we usually let me go go three hours on the show, but uh, we have we had a lot to talk about this week. So, Chris, give us some plugs, and we'll wrap this up. Sure, you can find me on Twitter at the Chris Samsa. Uh, my website is sportofprowrestling.com, which is pretty much going to turn into a G one takeover here in a couple of weeks, or not even a couple of weeks um all my g1 coverage will be there and i think i'm gonna do daily preview audio again this year on the voices of wrestling network that's the tentative plan um i'm looking i'm looking at the schedule to see if i can do a little less than daily um see if i can just do like every other night if it makes sense but either way i will i think i'm gonna do daily or you know audio previews for every g1 card um, and I think that'll be, um, how I get back into the solo audio game. So that's, uh, that's what I'm up to. All right. So folks, of course you can follow us at Russell Omakase, uh, wrestling one fit follow us on Twitter, I should say. And next week on the Patreon exclusive episode, uh, we will talk about the opening night of the Noah N one victory, as well as the all Japan September 7th Corican. Uh, I do not have a guest yet for that, so I'll let you know who that will be. Just haven't gotten around to picking one yet, so uh, or asking somebody. But yes, the two of us, will, whoever it is, being this other person, will review the the Noah and All Japan show. So that will be exclusive to the Patreon. Uh, the next time you hear me on the free feed, I do have a guest for that. Oddly enough, uh, that'll be in two weeks, and that'll be the first two nights of the G1 plus nights two and three of the N1 uh, with Harley Duncan from Voices of Wrestling. So he'll be on to break down the opening nights of the G1 and nights two and three of the N1 uh, on September 19th. So there you go. Uh, In the meantime, I want to thank you as always for listening, and I will see you next time.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.